the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Excalibur, starring Nigel Terry, Helen Mirren, and Nicole Williamson. I was not born to live a man's life, but to be the stuff of future memory. The fellowship was a brief beginning, a fair time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten, that fair time may come again. Now once more I must ride with my knights to defend what was and the dream of what could be. years that it was in your keeping what's up everybody welcome to an epic epic episode of podcasting after dark i am one half of the pad team Corey, aka sleazy c aka sir sleazy of the sea <laughs> joined with me as always my brother from another mother zach <laughs> Sir Total Snackage Schaefer. <laughs> I came up with those on the fly. What's up, buddy? I'm so excited to talk about Game of Thrones tonight. <laughs> Sorry, wait, no. I- I'm so excited to talk about Sword in the Stone, Disney's Sword in the Stone. Wait, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm so excited to talk about every single movie that has been influenced by the movie we're going to be talking about tonight. Movie and television series, that is. Yeah, dude. Um, I saw a lot of that as well. Uh, we are discussing 1981's Excalibur by Sir John Borman. Um, my God, they don't make movies like this anymore at all. Uh, for better or worse, um, I, I think that both sides of that argument could be made. But this is a movie that truly... I think stands as its own pillar in, you know, of enlightenment in like, in like them on the movie shelf. Like, and even when I was a kid, I kind of looked at it that way. Like this was something different. This movie right here was something different and it was something special. Um, but Zach, before we dive into Excalibur, what's your experience with it? I saw this movie. I've seen this movie one time outside of the viewing, uh, for this particular episode. I saw it. In the theater with my mother when I was probably five or six years old. Wow. And I am (laughs) watching it now going, oh, my gosh, the 80s were wild for many reasons. You uh, babysitters were hard to come by. So you ended up taking your kid to the movies to see a movie. And I remember falling asleep during certain scenes or 
blacking them out because or blocking them out because of the graphic nature of said scenes. Um, I believe this movie was rated PG originally, so it's well, it's R now. But I kind of and I was a little bit shocked by that when I when I saw that. And maybe I actually I think it's always been R, but to me kind of feels like a an 80s PG movie. Now maybe PG-13 would probably be more apt, but 1981 there was no PG-13 at the time. What's well, weird on IMDb they listed as PG, which is so weird to but me. But then the movie then poster, the poster says, says rated R. R. Yeah. I'm I'm certain my mom took me to it though because I have like vivid flashbacks to certain scenes that probably terrified me as a child, one of which involves a uh rather well-known actor, but we'll get to the cast and crew in a little bit. What's your familiarity with Excalibur? Um, actually, a little bit more than you. And, uh, you know, as, as most people know from listening to the show, I'm not a big fantasy guy. But as a kid, I watched Lady Hawk a lot. I had a huge crush on Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, I, I watched this as well. But I don't ever remember technically renting it. Maybe I like rented it once or something. Um, But I I feel like I caught this on, I want to say cable, but I didn't have like, I mean, we had basic cable, but I didn't have like HBO and stuff like my dad did, but my mom didn't. So I'm trying to parse out where I saw this. Or maybe I just saw it at like friends' houses and stuff like uh, when I would do sleepovers. I had one friend when I was a kid. Um, before I kind of started hanging out with Luke, he would fall asleep at like nine o'clock and I would be up until like two, like watching HBO, like his HBO and shit. So like, maybe I saw it there, but I've seen this movie a lot, uh, but not in 30 plus years, you know? Yeah. It's wild to think about, um, that this movie is, you know, over 40 years old and, uh, so much of it seems like it's, you know, used in what we see today. I wasn't joking at the start when I was talking about Game of Thrones or, you know, that's the first that pops to my head. But also Lord of the Rings, you know, um, the, the the theatrical versions versus, you know, I'm not talking about Tolkien's book. Um, just like that level of fantasy. The 80s were a hotbed for fantasy and there were so many good fantasy movies for kids like Lady Hawk and Beastmaster and um, Dragon Slayer. Was that one for kids? Dragon Slayer. Yeah, I think Dragon Slayer was rated PG. Uh, I feel like Sword and Sorcerer or one of those Dungeon Master, maybe one of those was rated PG or PG-13 at the time. Um, yeah, I think, oh, Never Ending Story. Yeah, there How you go. I forget about that. <laughs> I mean, these are these are fantasy films and and those are more kid focused or more made for a younger audience. This is definitely made for a, a an older audience, you know, and for everyone wondering this movie, we're doing Excalibur because Robert Ortiz is our highest tier in our Patreon. And if you are on our highest tier on Patreon, you get to choose the movie that we break down. Um, it just coincided with. Robert having kind of two back-to-back picks. So we're going to be doing two Robert Ortiz picks back-to-back. Corey's doing tonight's breakdown. I will be doing the next one. But if you want to have your movie broken down, and then you can sign up to our highest tier. It's $20 a month. All that money goes to us 
making this show the best version of the show we can. This is our cheap plug, by the way. And uh, highly recommend it because we are going to do this movie as much justice as possible. We know that Robert, uh, this movie, we know that Robert holds this film very near and dear to his heart. He will be on our wrap up to discuss that at the end of the month. Um, But tonight we're going balls out on a British berserker <laughs> perfect i couldn't have said it better <sighs> myself good job but you, you must have said that in one breath too <laughs> I had will ferrell old school uh vibes there when i'm <laughs> done uh, yeah dude uh, that was yeah so if you want us to break down one of your movies uh like we do on the show like zach says come check out the patreon um now we got a we got a long movie here to get into but i do want to just really quick Say that I wasn't like I don't think I wrote spoke the right word earlier when I was like you know about this movie, but there was something special about it when I was a kid. I kind of think it was probably because of the mostly British um, cast and everything. It felt otherworldly to me. It felt like like from a distant land when I was watching it as a kid. But that also kind of and I also knew that it was based on authorian uh, authorian legend and all that kind of stuff. So I always did hold this movie in a, def- a different esteem than I held other movies. I, like I said, I almost like not, not revered it, but looked at it as like a different piece of artwork than than the other than its contemporaries, like Neverending Story and stuff like that. This to me felt. It felt like it had some magic in it. And again, I, it may just be the the, the British aesthetic that I wasn't quite that used to at that age you around the same time were watching doctor who and stuff i wasn't so i kind of wasn't you know exposed to as much british cinema and television and and you know um theater stuff when i was a kid yeah i you think about other popular fantasy movies that came out in the mid to early 80s like legend you go oh that's tom cruise right and it automatically takes you out of a certain element of the movie the main you recognize somebody or or Conan. Oh, that's Schwarzenegger. Right. But you see a movie like this or like Kroll, for example, and you're like, I don't really recognize at least American audiences saying I don't really recognize these actors. Um, and it gives it a whole other vibe. It gives it a whole more like it's easier to just get engrossed into the actual character versus going, oh, that's Tom Cruise playing an elf or, oh, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger playing, you know, uh, Conan or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, this, this, there's a certain relatively unknown cast for American mainstream audiences, unless you're watching masterpiece theater on PBS yeah. <laughs> or maybe the, on doctor who did have one of these guys. I don't think they did, but you never know. Um, well, and, and to yeah, that takes, point, John Borman has said that uh, because he wanted the story to be the central focus, he did cast unknowns even for like at the time. Now a lot of them were were theater actors, um, but unknowns to like movies. I, I believe this is like Helen Mirren, like one of her first movies, but she was already like a name in theater, and and so was like uh, Nicole Williamson, and, and we'll talk about them in a second. But movie star wise. He wanted to keep these almost, you know, no names so that way people would just focus on the story. Yeah, and it's effective. And you also bring up Lord of the Rings. Uh, He originally, John Borman originally, 
wanted to do Lord of the Rings and they couldn't get the rights to it. So he pivoted and, you know, used some of the costume stuff and everything that's already been was being worked on for that production and just turned it into uh, Excalibur. He was going to call it Merlin, but that name was already being used by, I think, Ridley Scott or somebody. Um, and he was just going to call it Knights. And that was actually being I think that was the one being used by Ridley Scott. So we landed on Excalibur, but I'm like, that should have been your first one. Like Excalibur is a strong title. Well, it's also, it makes total sense because the sword is what brings kind of everybody together. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Pivot! Pivot! (laughs) Pivot! Uh, All right, buddy. Let's get into the cast and crew because like we said, we have a long movie. It's uh, almost two and a half hours long. My notes breakdown are... Not the longest. The longest was The Believers. Uh, thanks to Cam Sully for that one. Um, this is the second longest amount of notes that I have. So we got we to gotta get into it. Let's do it. Uh, Nigel Terry plays King Arthur. Nigel Terry, of course, is not known to many people over in the state sides because he did a lot of British, British. Uh, f- films. And, and theater. Actually, theater. Theater. Um he died in 2015 at the age of 69, dude. Uh, <laughs> Big rips, bro. <laughs> if you if you land on 69, that's a good life. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he was in Doctor Who. He he had a in the new seasons. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty badass. Yeah, but I don't know him really for much no. other than this. Me, me too, buddy. Me too. I think, and you know, there's going to be a lot of big names now that weren't big names then, but a lot of the main cast are going to be like. Yep, don't know that guy from nothing. Right, right. Uh, playing his sister, well, no, yeah, playing his sister, his sister Morgana, <laughs> yeah, sister lover, is Dame Helen Murin. I don't know if she's a dame, but she's she a dame in my book. She oh, is. Yeah, she, yeah, you're a dame of all the gin joints. And Never mind. Um, I mean, you guys know who Helen Murin is. Yeah. I just happened to party with her at Joshua Tree at Pappy and Harriet's back in the day when uh dancing next to a guy half naked calling himself Jesus. That's a whole other story. If you want to know that story, sign up to our Patreon and you can find out about it on Wrap Up After Dark. I don't know this story, so wow, okay. I can't it involves wait. Helen Mirren and Queens of the Stone Age and uh, a bottle of tequila. Oh, so there dude. you go. Helen Mirren is hot as fuck, man. I don't give a shit what age she is, so I uh, hope you uh, hope you tapped that. <laughs> Sign up to our Patreon and you'll find out. <clears throat> Nicholas Clay plays Lancelot. Lancelot. Uh, Sir Lancelot. Um, he was actually in the Merlin television series with I, Sam Neill. I, I saw that. never saw that. Don't have any interest to see it. Oh, I meant like I saw that that credit. I've never seen it either. What was that NBC? Like what was that? It was like an NBC miniseries Ugh. TV movie of the week. Um, he was also in another TV miniseries, The Odyssey. And uh, I I sadly did watch that. It had, um, oh, God, what was his name? Uh, Armand Asante played Odysseus. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he was great in Prophecy, man. <laughs> got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, well, Armand actually, Nicholas Asante. Clay was in an episode of the Highlander TV show. So he put his sword fighting skills to use. He put his sword swallow as sword fighting. Yes, um, Sherry Lu- Sherry Lungy plays Guinevere, and yeah. You know, side note: um, watching this movie, I was I was like, holy shit! I've 
why do all these things sound seem so familiar to me? Oh, because First Night is the story of King Arthur and Lancelot and Guinevere with Sean Connery, Richard Gere, and um, I forget the, the 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 female actress name who plays Guinevere. Anyways, that's a really great romance love story if you ever want to see it. I thought it was really good. But I'm like, oh, I know this story because I saw that movie. Um, oh, it's funny you bring up Sean Connery because he was initially the, the the director, John Borman, wanted him to play Merlin. And that would have been weird. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so tell me, which, which, take the short. Take the what? Take the short. Take the short from the, from the sea, from the water. Yes, yes. Um, so Sherry Lungy was in uh, Frankenstein. I believe uh, that 1994 is Frankenstein, which was the uh, Kenneth Branagh yes. version. I think I saw yeah. that in the theater. Did you see that one? I did see that one in the theater, yes. And I also saw The Mission in the theater, which also starred Robert De Niro as well. Uh, if you've never seen The Mission, beautiful soundtrack by Vangelis or Vangelis, uh, whatever. Anyways, I highly recommend The Mission. Okay, interesting. Mission. Uh, but I do not recommend Never mind. I won't go there. Because it's not dirty after dark. It's podcasting after dark. Uh, Paul Jeffrey plays Percival. Oh, he was awesome. Loved him in this. He was fantastic. He was in the Thomas Crown Affair playing another cop. <laughs> no, isn't that sad that that's like his second main credit after Excalibur? Like when you look at, you know, IMDb and he's just playing another cop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he played prison warden in a, in a tv show or you know he was in greystoke though greystoke yep. was a great version of tarzan yep that was um, uh was that um that was what is christopher lambert right yeah christopher lambert yeah i saw that in the theater as well that was what uh early 80s i think 84 maybe 83 84 yep yep God, uh, I'm playing you Merlin. i'm becoming you <laughs> you are look at that he pulled it out of his head ladies and gentlemen uh nicole william uh, nicole williamson played um who plays merlin but he was in he was in spawn and returned to oz and the seven percent solution which was a sherlock holmes story he was also in the exorcist three yes he's a good actor he reminds me a lot of um max von sedow Funnily enough, that was another of the top names that he wanted to get uh, on here. And the funny thing is, apparently the producer said the only person that we don't want you to have is Nicole Williamson. Which for, right. I don't know why. Um, but he actually uh, he wanted to hire him when he hired um, Helen Mirren. John Borman did um, because the, apparently they had a very terrible and contentious production of Macbeth they were both in and they weren't speaking anymore and he wanted them because he wanted that animosity between the two um oh, unfortunately well, apparently if uh, they they became good friends on set Helen Mirren and uh Nicole John Borman's like damn it it did not work it didn't work <laughs> and then Nicole's going I'm I'm a I'm I'm your third choice. Yes. <laughs> Do you want the job or not? I'll take it. Um, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it with pride. Robert Addy plays Mordred. Um, not to be confused with Doctor Mordred. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was in. Uh, he's been in a bunch of TV shows, British TV shows, including Red Dwarf, which yep. I love. Me, me love some Red Dwarf. Yep. 
I have never seen it. <laughs> you should. You, I think you'd really enjoy it. It's really good. It's good stuff. Uh, Robert would be going right now. He'd be like, yeah, Corey, you got to see that. It's good stuff. Uh, Gabriel Byrne. Now, I was like, was I thought The Keep was his first movie. No, I believe this was his first I, movie. I think this uh, was his first movie, um, but I think he was Uther already a, a well-named stage actor. And yeah, I was talking over it. Uther Pendragon. He's great. He's yeah, and he's fan. Actually, the, the prequel, like, I have a few scenes that I actually love in this movie. Like, I'll call them out, but I really enjoy the prequel part of this um, before Arthur is born, mainly because Gabriel Byrne is just—he's smoldering on screen. Smoldering, smoldering, smoldering. <laughs> Keith Buckley plays Urians. Uh, Keith Buckley, no relation to Jeff Buckley, the musician. Uh, he was in *The Spy Who Loved Me*. Yes, yes. As HMS Ranger. <clears throat> um, Catherine. Uh, Katrine, Catherine, maybe? Katrine Borman? Uh, oh, sorry, Katrine Borman. Yes, Katrine. Hey, which, is, Katrine uh, Borman. which is John Borman's daughter. Plays Ingrain, and what he did to his daughter in this movie, it's very disturbing. <laughs> yes, he's uh, he's gone on record. They Apparently, they've both gone on record. They've been asked about it, you know, him filming that scene and all this kind of stuff, and... They see. They both seem to be okay with it. It's very like it feels like a Dario Argento kind of moment. Yes, yes, it does. It, very fitting that we're doing this after Demons Two and that discussion with uh, Asia Argento and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no problems making that movie. Really, is that why you had thirty years of therapy? I'm yes. <laughs> um, Liam Neeson played Gawain, and I mean, you blink and you miss him, kind of Neeson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does have like a—he does have a kind of a pivotal role at one point, but then he kind of falls into the background, sort of after that. Um, But lucky him—he was uh, shagging Helen Mirren after this uh, for a few months, apparently, or a few, actually, a few years, uh, from what I read. There's so the Blu-rays that you and I have for this have 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 nothing. Absolutely nothing on there as far as special features, but then there's a shit ton of like behind the scenes shit on um, on the IMDb trivia. So I kind of was trying to dig through that, um, and I'll we'll try to pop it out as, as much as we can. But it's just a damn shame that the Blu-ray has like next to fucking nothing on it. Yeah, it's it's a shame for a movie that I think many would consider to be a classic of for fantasy, or at least a cult classic. Absolutely. That's why it's here. Uh, Corin Redgrave plays Cornwall. Corin Redgrave, of course, related to Vanessa and Lynn Redgrave, the brother who many people may not know even exists. But he was in A Man for All Seasons, uh, which I highly recommend, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And two of those, both of those films are very well done. Uh, what? What was um just because I don't have the I'm not, I don't want to switch to IMDb because I'm on you know Excalibur. Why his sisters sound f- uh, familiar? Who are they? Vanessa and Lynn Redgrave are like very talented, famous actors. Um, they both anything I would have seen maybe. Uh, Lynn Redgrave, I think you probably recognize uh, Lynn Redgrave from. Oh gosh, what is she from? Um, well, she was in Gods and Monsters. Um, uh, Shine, Kinsey. She's like a lot of movies recently. Uh, okay. She, but she's been around for, since the seventies. Vanessa Redgrave, really quickly. Uh, oh, I just looked up Lynn Redgrave. Yeah, I recognize her. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, you Vanessa Redgrave. I think is out of the two is probably more well known, but they're both both very well known. 
And Lynn Redgrave, of course, was in Morgan Stewart's Coming Home, which I talked about on Aaron Gilmer's podcast, Manic Movie Monday. <laughs> Go check out that episode. Awesome. Um, I didn't know anything about Corin Redgrave at all. I was like, I actually I almost kind of thought you were going to skip over him, but that's that's impressive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to skip over the fact that Patrick Stewart was in this. <laughs> uh, Leon de Gra- Leon, Le- Leon, Leon de Grasse, Leon de Grasse, <laughs> and he once again has no hair on the top of his head, but he looks no. damn good. He's damn good, but everything he does here is at an 11. Like, his, he, the way he talks is at an 11, the way he acts is at an 11, but he's awesome, and we love him. And this is our second uh, Patrick Stewart movie because Life Force, uh, we covered Life Force way back in season one, and uh, famously, that movie will always be a part of, of Patrick Stewart's history because it was his first theatrical on-screen kiss, and that was with Steve Railsback. Yes, pockmarks and all. Yeah, <laughs> unibrow and all. I can kiss your face, and my fingers just kind of fall into the pockets of your mouth. Oh, um, Syrian Hines plays um, Lot, and Syrian. I think a lot of people would recognize from. Oh my gosh! I mean, Game of Thrones first season. Um, yeah. he was also Steppenwolf in the. Uh, in the uh, Batman versus Super Justice League movie or wherever the fuck, you know, ever. Um, honestly, yes. I didn't even recognize him in, in Excalibur. Like, he gets his first movie. He's so young. But yet, so young. Still, but yet still looks so old for some reason. Yes. I like him now. <laughs> uh, he's I, yeah, in the he's terror, guys by that the I kind of like. I like better as he got older. And uh, I, again, talked over you. Um, but The Terror, season one is fan-fucking-tastic, and I highly recommend anybody check out that. that It's not a miniseries. It's like a standalone show, season, story. Yeah. And then they did a season two, but it has absolutely nothing to do with season one. Um, but it's really fucking good. Season So one good. Is. So good. And, yeah, I mean, th- this cast is bonkers. It's, it's like, you know, classically well-trained actors up and down the, up and down the aisle. Uh, of course, John Borman, the director, uh, you know, and wrote the screenplay as well. I love the movie Deliverance. It's one of my favorite movies of all the times. Yeah. I can watch that movie any day of the week. Um, and for that, he gets my vote of confidence on anything that he does. Uh, but he's also directed, you know, 80s movies, Hope and Glory, which was, uh, you know, a very well-received film, the Emerald, the Emerald Forest, another movie that gets a lot of praise from people. Uh, but I'll and Exorcist Two, which gets the complete opposite praise from everybody, a lot of disdain and Zardoz. <laughs> and Zardoz, of course, you have to mention Zardoz. But apparently, um, Exorcist Two, he did that to sort of help finance Excalibur. But when it bombed, um, Excalibur actually turned out to be like his comeback. Like obviously, he wasn't expecting Exorcist Two to bomb, but because of it, Excalibur became uh, his comeback. And apparently. All most of this movie, like especially the forest stuff, it was like filmed like a mile from his home. So he just slept at home every night. He's like, this was the best sleep I've ever gotten on a movie set in my entire life. Same as uh, Zardoz. Apparently, he was apparently close in proximity to to where they filmed a lot of Zardoz as well. That's hilarious. Well, uh, God bless the guy for for filming a movie in his backyard. I just really quick wanted to maybe call out the cinematographer. Um, no surprise whatsoever 
He was, uh, it's Alex Thompson. He was also the cinematographer for Legend. And as a kid, it's so weird, because as a kid, I would get the, these two movies confused in my head. Like, certain scenes. I was like, oh, that scene I feel like was in Legend, or that scene was in Excalibur. And it makes complete sense that he was the cinematographer for both, because I feel like they kind of can both sit next to each other on, like, you know, on the movie rack type of thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, this this is another one of those fantasy movies. It's a slow burn. It, yeah. There's times where you feel like they probably could have trimmed five, six, ten minutes here or there or whatever. Uh, but it is fantastical, and it definitely... And w- without this movie, we would never have had the epic episode of G.I. Joe where Storm Shadow finds Excalibur in the water, and I become the owner of Excalibur! And he has an epic fight with Quick Kick on a castle. It's amazing. Excalibur, G.I. Joe. <laughs> know it. Love it. Uh, Live it. We'll fight Learn for freedom it. wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. I will um, own Excalibur. Uh, is that racist? I do... No. <laughs> I do want to ask you, though, before we jump into the movie, like... How well do you know, did you know, like, Arthur and Excalibur and the Camelot? Like, how well did you sort of know this story growing up as a kid? And then, like, how how much does this movie fit with what you sort of understood and everything? And I do know they, they've taken liberties because it's it's based on one particular book, but there are multiple different books telling the author, the the legend of King Arthur and everything like that. Um, and they all have kind of differences to them. And this is kind of like an, like he kind of just takes one book and, and sort of does that. But how well do you, did this movie fit with what your, your preconceived notions of Excalibur and Arthur and Camelot and everything? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember much from when I saw this in the theater and I probably, uh, it, it was more ingrained on me the the Disney version of this, the sanitized version, the, you know, let's have a nighttime tale before we go to bed type thing, you know, bedtime story. Uh, and then not until, what was it, the, the 90s when I saw First Night and thought, oh, I, that, that I could sink my teeth into. So, yeah, I didn't really know a whole lot. And then I started describing the story to Bodie and he was like, he was actually pretty into it, just the way I described it. Um, and, but then I was like, yeah. And then, you know, this one guy is in love with this other guy's wife, which is a little sus. And then like, they have a baby. He's like, well, but, but was, wasn't she married? Yeah. But like he, he had the guy killed because of magic. And anyways, that, that was a, the, my version of it rocks. (laughs) If anybody has a young child that they want to have the story read to in my version, let me know. DM me. Ping me. <laughs> oh, man. All right, buddy. Well, like I said, we had uh, we have a lot to get into here. We have a lot of movie to dig into. So. Really quickly, the woman who plays Igraine, uh, Igraine um, uh, Borman's daughter, uh, looks just like Sydney Sweeney. You know that actress? The, she was on... Um, Utopia or whatever that show is on HBO, the drug show. Oh, uh, okay. Euphoria. Euphoria, yeah. I never watched it, but okay. Oh, yeah, you should check it out, especially you, Corey. Especially <laughs> you. All right. It's a good show. Yeah. Right, kids? And, yeah, 
And real quick, uh, uh, young young boy Mordred um, play, was played by Borman's son, and uh, I think the lady in the water—not the one that you see her face of, but the one that holds the hands—is yeah, his other another, daughter, another Borman. Yep. Yeah, and I'm watching them, and I'm like, holy crap! Game of Thrones owes so much to this particular version of Excalibur. Yeah, especially like aesthetically, and just like yeah, how everything looks and sort of feels. I agree with you. Yep. Right down to the golden armor. All right, baby. Excalibur time. You ready? I'm ready for Excalibur! Storm Shadow, you're not going to be a part of this. Come on, please. Okay, fine. Throughout. Rob, are you ready for this? Are you ready, Rob, for Storm Shadow's Excalibur? I'm sorry, Excalibur? <laughs> I'm ready. and flower were one with man and death was but a dream you were born to be king what is me to be king you will be the land and the land will be you if you fail the land will perish as you thrive the land will blossom but why because you are king there must be some lady somewhere in the world who inspires you there is one who is she the wars are over have we defeated evil? Good and evil. There never is one without the other. Where hides evil then in my kingdom? Where you never expected. Always. You are one. Under the stars. Savory. Rejoice with great gladness. Remember it well then, this night. For it is the doom of men that they forget. Now, more than ever. No. This is the moment that you must face at last. To be king alone. We must find what was lost. Only the Grey Ark redeems. Search the land. The king should be afraid, Arthur. Always. Of the enemy. Waiting. Everywhere. Search the labyrinths of the forests. To the edge of. Within. Come, Father, let us embrace at last. Oh, you know I'm going to have to call this out, man. The movie opens with <gasps> Orion Pictures logo. Ah, love I it. I miss that. I know. I yeah. guess they're back, by the way. Like that, the production company's back. Yes, I swear to God, I just saw a movie. That had the, or maybe a trailer, but it had the Orion logo, and it looked like they updated the, you know, I was like, oh, man, that's... Me too. They're, they're coming back, baby, all right. Yeah. A text appears on screen. The Dark Ages. The land was divided and without a king. Out of those lost centuries rose a legend. 
of the sorcerer Merlin, of the coming of a king, of the sword of power, Excalibur. Boom, and we get a great title card with Storm Shadow. <laughs> so, no, Excalibur. Fade into a forest at night. Fires illuminate the scene. We see two armies of men in armor fighting through the woods. Storm Shadow is a part of them. <laughs> One and quick kicks on the other side. <laughs> and quick kicks on the other side. Oh, hey, no. she. Yeah, do you like my bad impressions of uh, Broadway, uh, 1940s actors? Yeah. <laughs> Rob, we don't pre-plan bits. They just happen and... I'm sorry, buddy, but this one's happening. Storm Shadow <laughs> is in it, baby. Woo! Woo! Uh, one army's led by Uther Pendragon, Gabriel Byrne, with Merlin by his side. He yells out, Merlin, I am the strongest! I am the one! As he slices through foes on horseback, Uther rides up to Merlin and says that he was promised the sword. The magician says, And who shall have it? But the heel. Not to hack. Tomorrow a truce. We meet at the river. Uther says, Talk is for lovers, Merlin. I need the sword to be king. You also need that sword. Never mind. I know. Uh, talk <laughs> is for lovers. Uh, he goes pillow riding talk, back baby. It's pillow talk. <laughs> That's just pillow talk, baby. He goes riding back into battle. Apparently, they had to film this three times because uh, there was somehow... There was, I think there was something broken or something messed up about, uh, I went to film school, guys, but I'm not a tech guy. But I don't think the camera guy fucked up. I think something was fucked up on the camera, and the film was, like, over or underexposed, like, two nights in a row. And I think he took a kind of a lashing for it, but they had to do it for same scene three times. Wow. Yeah, that's got to Waste suck. of money. Yeah. The next day, as Merlin is standing on the stones of a lake, we see a woman's hand come out of the water holding a beautiful sword, Excalibur. It has an eerie green aura to it. Now, I do want to call out that. Did you notice that, that there's always like this green light on it and everything that kind of gives it this weird ethereal glow to it? Yeah, I love it. Super cool. Very cool. Cut to the meeting by the river. Uther, with Excalibur and his, and his men, are on one side of the bank, and his opponent, Cornwell, Corin Redgrave, and his army are on, the, are on the other side. Merlin tells Uther to show them the sword. When Uther draws it, everyone gasps. Merlin says, Behold, the sword of power, Excalibur, forged when the world was young, and bird and beast and flower were one with men. And death was but a dream. He then looks at Uther and tells him to speak the words. Uther yells, One land, one king! This is my peace, Cornwell! Cornwell asks if he yields to the sword of power, what will Uther yield? Uther asks, Me? Yield? Merlin looks at the arrogant man and says, He has given. Now you must. Storm Shadow? Storm Shadow needs Excalibur! <laughs> Uther relents and says, The land from here to the sea shall be yours if you enforce the king's will. Cornwall smiles and yells, Done! And everyone cheers. Cornwall continues, King Uther, let us feast together to my castle! And I gotta say, right out of the gate, 
<laughs> my buddy Bert mentioned this, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna steal his line. But uh, Gabriel Byrne, it's like every every line he has in this movie is in all caps. He is at an eleven the entire time. Yeah, there's a few actors where they just don't turn it down ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. I went to the school of acting. You know who else went to that school of acting? Quick, quick, went to that school of acting. She, yeah. <laughs> All the gin joints and gyp- Be quiet. Just kick. Quick. Kick quickly. <laughs> kick quickly. God damn it. <laughs> what about me? No, we're not talking about you, spirit. Uh, cut to Uther and Cornwall and their men in a giant dining hall. The two leaders use their knives to cut their forearms and smear the wounds together, oh, solidifying yeah. their pact. Can't do that nowadays. Nope. AIDS! <laughs> AIDS! Let me have some of that AIDS! <laughs> then a very drunk Cornwall announces that his wife, Agrain, um, you know, John Borman's daughter, will dance for them seductively. And it was he like Britney Spears with those two swords. It was like, yes! <laughs> topical. Knives. Very yes. topical. I try to be. He tells Uther, you may be king, but no queen of yours could ever match her. I don't think you really want to say that to someone who you, you were just fighting, like yesterday. Yeah, you don't want to be showing off your BDE. <laughs> Not this soon, you know, no. to the guy who claims to be king of all the land. Right. As grain dances, Uther becomes more and more entranced by her beauty. He must have her, even if his men advise against it. Cornwall sees the way Uther is looking at his wife and gets very angry. He yells, and Uther stands up and spits on the ground. Cut to Uther's men trying to break in the front gate of Cornwall's castle. Yeah. I I gotta say, the time jumps in this are great. Like they'll they'll use like beards and shaven like shaven earlier and beards later. The, this movie covers. Two, essentially two generations. It covers right now this like little prequel time, right. and then pretty much all of Arthur's life. Yeah, no, totally. And sometimes they don't even like give you a reason. Like here, like it's just he looks at him wrong, spits on the ground, and cut to a siege because we don't need anything else in between. Cut to. <laughs> that's not that's not flight of the valkyries that's it's no. like it, it's a famous it's another famous it's a famous piece yeah flight of the valkyries is flight of the valkyries flight of the valkyries flight of the because that's what he's playing in apocalypse now at the beginning right when the helicopters yes. come in yeah yep napalm in the morning scene yada 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 so yeah they're trying to break down cornwall's castle because things went to shit pretty quickly they went to shit we see catapults Firing flaming ordnance at the walls while Cornwall's men repel the attacks. Their allegiance did not last very long. Nope. Down below, Uther yells for Merlin. He needs his counsel. When the wizard finally shows up, Uther yells, Where have you been? Merlin shoots back. I have walked my way since the beginning of time. Sometimes I give, sometimes I take. It is mine to know which and when. Uther demands that Merlin must help him. Must I? Uther reminds him that he is Merlin's king. Angrily, Merlin says, So you need me again, now that my truce is wrecked. Years to build and moments to ruin, all for lust. Uther says, For a grain, one night with her, 
You don't understand. You're not a man. Use the magic. Do it. Merlin thinks about it, then turns around to, to look Uther in the eyes. You will swear by your true kingship to grant me what I wish. Then you shall have it. Uther kneels and says, By Excalibur, I swear it. Merlin goes on. What issues from your lust shall be mine? Cut to Cornwall, watching Uther's men pack up their siege weapons and march off. He tells his second-in-command that when night falls, they will follow Uther's men and finish them. Cut to Uther and Merlin walking up to a cliff that overlooks their camp, but also stares directly over to Cornwall's castle. Giant boulders and rocks are set up in a Stonehenge-like formation structure at the top of the overlook. Merlin holds out his arms and staff at the castle and starts reciting his magical spell. Uther sits down against one of the rocks and falls asleep. The scene fades to night, and Uther wakes up screaming. Ah! <laughs> I don't know why my scream... Ah! My scream sounds like uh, Lando when the Sarlacc grabs him by his leg. <laughs> oh, haven't the Murgatroyd. My th- mine sounds like Snagglepuss. Yes, it does. That was intentional. Merlin looks at him. Uther says that he dreamt of the dragon. Merlin says... I have awoken him. Mm. Can't you see all around you the dragon's breath? I'm sorry. That was good. That's yeah. actually a really good Yoda. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. You must. I will say your your Merlin has been fantastic though. Oh, but that was that was a good little that was a good little mix up, guys and gals. This is a massively heavily dialogue movie. I tried to trim what I could, but it's one of those movies where. Every bit of dialogue is uber important, so... And then there's fight scenes. Yeah, then there's some fight scenes, and there's some sex, and then there's a lot more dialogue. And there's also beautiful cinematography. And... (laughs) And Excalibur! Storm Shadow, settle down. There's Storm Shadow, there's Quick Kick, there's there's not Flight of the Valkyries, but another (laughs) public domain song. What about me? No, Spirit, you're not coming in. Freedom will fly. Yeah, go fly Freedom. No, there's, there's no room for Spirit in this... Sorry, the cacophony of, gonna, of, we'll save you for cast the next of characters. Yeah. Can I save be in Giver 2? Yeah, you can be in Giver 2. There you go. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Uther looks around, and now there's a fog bank below them and obscuring the camp. The overlook he's on and the Cornwall's castle in the distance are above the dragon's breath. It's kind of hard to explain, but just know that everything below them is in a fog bank and they are above it. And they're kind of like on the same parallel as the castle. Essentially. Yes. Uther looks at the castle and sees Cornwall and his men leaving to pursue his men. And they think him as well. Merlin tells Uther to mount his horse and ride across the dragon's breath to the castle. He will transform the King into the semblance of Cornwall. So he can sneak in and take a grain. I mean, this is rape. But, okay. Uther yells and rides his horse across the top of the fog to Cornwall's castle. As he does, we see him transform into Cornwall and make his way into the structure, past the guards who think it is their duke. I also like how the dogs are barking at him, though. Totally, yeah. And and the whole time I'm watching this scene, I'm like, you know, this is how 
people back then justified the horrible things they did to each other. See, it was magic. It was magic. I was consumed by magic. That's what made me devour your wife. Um, no. Or they claim, like, birthright and, like, kingship. Like, yeah. like this is my right type of thing. Yeah. It's a man's world! <laughs> it definitely was, and, you know, Mor- Morgana tried, man. She she tried, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that. They needed Baroness in there. They, dude, we all need a little Baroness in our lives. <laughs> While this is happening, we see Cornwall proper and his men riding through Uther's camp encampment hacking and burning things looking for the king as cornwall is riding his horse a group of birds fly by and spook his horse sending cornwall falling back down onto a weapons rack holding spears and swords he's impaled multiple times and dies on the rack cut to inside cornwall's castle and his young daughter morgana wakes up crying and says to her mother agrain that her father is dead just then uther looking like cornwall walks in Agrain is relieved and tells her it was just a dream, but she but that doesn't really comfort Morgana. Cornwall, I call him Cornwall Uther, Cornwall Uther calls for Agrain to come to him, and she puts Morgana back to bed before doing as her husband orders. The imposter grabs her and forcibly kisses the Duke's wife violently. Then he rips off her clothes and takes her to bed while Morgana watches. I don't know what's more disturbing in that sentence right there. Yeah. Because Morgana's, like, in a, the next bed, and not, like, the next room, but just the next bed. Close your eyes, girl. Mommy. <laughs> Mommy, no. Scarred for life. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, it is true. She is. Like, it's not, this is not a throwaway moment. This is, nope. And, again, a movie that is epic, it covers this, like, multiple generations. You also have to understand, every scene is important as well. Yes. Outside, as Merlin watches, he whispers to himself, The future has taken root in the present. It is done. Cut to Cornwall's dead body being brought back to his castle. Agrain is shocked to see it and asks when and where he died. One of his men says, In the camp of Uther, my lady, just after nightfall. She says that it can't be. He came to her bed last night. What will become of them? The man says, Lord Uther, my lady, it will be for him to say. Morgana closes her dad's eyes with her little hands. She kind of looks like she kind of poked him with one of them, but uh, he, he did a good job as an actor by not moving. Right, yeah, he did. I agree. <laughs> I always find it like weird, like, you know, to have the actor push down the, the quote-unquote dead actor's eyes, but then to have it ha- like a five-year-old kid to do it when, you know, their fingers aren't as precise, you know? Right. You're almost there. You're almost there. Oh, oh ah, poke him right in the eye. Ow, shit. Shit. Cornwall, you're supposed to be dead. I can do it. No, you can't. <laughs> Some time has passed, and we see King Uther enter Cornwall's castle and come to see a grain. Again, I just want to say and point out, sometimes there'll be like a little bit of a fade. Yeah. But there's no title cards telling you how much time has passed, but... John Borman does such an excellent job of knowing where to pass the time because like, you know, like now she's, she just gave birth. So we know it's been nine months. Like he gives you these moments and he gives you like inside of them. If you, if you're paying attention, you'll understand how much time has passed, but he doesn't come out and just say it to your face. Right. No, it's, it's a, it, 
it's effective and it makes sense. You're never sitting there going, where, where are we? Where are we? What's going on? Exactly. So she has given birth to a boy and is nursing him. Uther orders everyone to leave the room, including Morgana. He says, she watches me with her father's eyes. Uther sits on the bed next to Egrain and asks, is it mine or his? She says, a man came to me and loved me and made this child. I thought it was my husband, but he was already dead. Uther smiles and holds the baby in his arms and says, all I know is how to butcher men. From now on, I shall learn to love them. I am weary of battle. I shall stay by his side and his mother's. I felt weird because as he grabbed the baby and pulled him close, he has spikes on his armor. And, you know, I was like, Jesus, don't impale the baby. Here, let me hold the baby. It's not a football. Let me hold the baby. (laughs) He hands the boy back to his mom, who's not as full of spikes as he is. Just as Merlin walks into the room. Uther is angry that he's here. Merlin says, and this is the one time where they sort of explain it to you, but I, 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 I like how they do it. So Merlin says, I have slept for nine moons. What I did for you wasn't easy. Now you must pay me. The child is mine. You made an oath. Until you recite the name Rumpelstiltskin, <laughs> and then I will have to give the baby back to you. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Good job. Uh, Uther pleads, They were hasty words, Merlin. This is flesh and blood. Egrain realizes what is happening and that Uther is the father. Merlin goes on, It is not for you, Uther. Hearth and home, wife and child. Uther is enraged and asks, To kill and be king? Is that all? Merlin says, Perhaps not even that. Show enough. You betrayed the duke, you stole his wife, you took his castle. Now no one trusts you. You're not the one, Uther. Give me the child. I will protect him. Uther rips the baby from a grain and hands him over to Merlin while she screams. As Merlin is leaving the castle, Morgana sees him and asks if he's the mother and father of the baby now. He ignores her and leaves. It would be hilarious if he's like, Sure am. Peace out. (laughs) (laughs) Peace out, bitches. Peace out, bitches. Like like my shiny hat. (laughs) Real quick, by the way, that was the one thing as a kid that always stood out. Like, Like whenever I thought about this movie was Merlin's metal cap. And like I said... I kind of got it confused with legend. Like, you know, and even when like I was watching on TV, I wasn't sure, you know, which one I was watching. But as soon as Merlin came out with his metal cap on, I was like, ah, it's Excalibur. I'm watching Excalibur. Yeah. I I mean, I was like, wait, did Flash Gordon kind of rip that off a little bit? Because Flash Gordon came out like same time, I think. So around the same time. But, you know, yeah, well, Mick, like, what is Ming, that? Like a, a metal skull cap type of thing? Yeah. Like, you know, my thinking cap. It's my. my Lick my dog plate. What was it? Lick my plate, you dog dick. From uh, t- Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Uh, oh, shit. Chopped yeah, up. dude. Lick my plate, you dog dick. <laughs> Meyer and I are still waiting to watch. Because uh, 
<laughs> we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and then Mannequin, like a, a double feature for some reason. And now um, I have Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the Shout Factory Blu-ray. We're going to watch that and then Mannequin 2. It's like we have to. Like now we have to watch the <laughs> as another double feature. Have fun with that. <laughs> One makes them into mannequins. The other brings mannequins to life. <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> Cut to Merlin walking through the woods with Uther in pursuit on horseback yelling at him. As he does, he's ambushed by Cornwall's men and is taken off his horse, landing bloody in the mud. The king's bodyguards arrive, but they, are, they too are ambushed. Uther gets up and uses Excalibur to fight back, hacking off a man's arm. That was cool. I wish was we cool. had more of that in this. Yeah, this it was the the fight scenes were I'm not gonna lie, are a little left to be desired. It looked like everybody was about to slip in the mud and fall over all the time. Yeah, it looked exhausting. It did. It actually, which it probably looked, is accurate. It, yeah, just to watch it, it looked exhausting, and I <sighs> imagine it was. <laughs> you know, because we live in a day and age now with Game of Thrones. Again, I keep going back to that, but it's true. Where like the fight scenes are, you know, John Wick style almost. And I imagine the like the costuming is is better nowadays with like the armor and everything. Um, like, I mean, this is made out of like aluminum and metal and stuff. I mean, I don't think they were as sturdy as maybe a real knight's armor, but I don't think they weigh like five pounds. Like, I think that all that shit weighed heavily on everybody. Oh yeah, totally. I agree. <laughs> Uther gets up and yeah, you know, he uses Excalibur to hack off the dude's arm. Um, but he, but he's beaten and has to retreat through the woods. As he does, Uther yells out for Merlin to help him, but he gets no reply. Uther realizes that this is the end and says that no one shall have the sword and plunges it directly into a giant boulder before he, before falling over dead. Merlin looks back and sees men trying to take the sword out of the rock and says, He who draws the sword from the stone, he shall be king. Then Merlin looks down at the baby and says, Arthur, you're the one. Then walks off into the woods as the scene fades to black. Um, now, I think I, I think he chose a, like the fade to black here is because now a massive time jump will be happening. Honestly, like what, like 18 years, essentially, because we see Arthur as a late teen at this point. Well, it's like this is like the prologue, right? Yeah. I mean, if if they were making this like they were the Hobbit, this whole thing with Uther and Gabriel Byrne would have been its own movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I think they still should do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. They just they're making a Legend of Zelda movie. Why not make a next caliber movie? Right. It is weird that like Excalibur and everything. I feel like when we were kids and maybe it's because of this movie, it was more apparent. It was like, I don't know, like everyone sort of knew what it was. I don't know. Like if I said to my nephew Excalibur, I don't think he would even bat an eye. He'd be like, is that in Vegas? <laughs> and you'd go, yes, let's go to Vegas. Hey, everybody. Co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to all of our Patreon members who help support the show. Each month, they get access to The Carpenter Factor, Wrap Up After Dark, and all kinds of other fun exclusive content. You can sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. 
Other ways you can help support the show and help us grow is leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We also have a merch store where you can pick up a t-shirt or two, as well as some other fun items. You can find every link to our podcatchers, to our merch store, to Patreon, everything at podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Now back to the show. Like I said, some time has passed, and a village has been set up near the spot where Uther plunged Excalibur into the stone. A renaissance fair has been set up. <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> All it needed were somewhat uh, some some turkey legs and some very busty women wearing low cut dresses. Yuri, Yuri, this man has a hat on his head with an NY. I'm from New York. It's the Yankees. Oh, I've never heard of such a blasphemy of the magics. My favorite <laughs> meta thing that people do at Ren Fairs is dress up as a Star Trek away team and then look confused all over the, That's uh, the, awesome. the Ren Fair. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, yeah. So, a jousting tournament is being held where the winning knight attempts to remove the sword and claim the right, their right to be king. So, they have to win the joust and then they get a chance to go remove the sword. We are introduced to Arthur who is a squire for his brother Kay, who is a knight, and their father uh, reminding them to be honorable in the tournament, as a knight should be. We see Patrick Stewart as Leon de Grasse, de Grants, Leon de Grants. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> Leon, de, 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 your name's Leo, okay? Your yeah. name's Le- Le- Leon. Yeah, it's right there. It's easy. Yeah. Or, you know, Captain Picard, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> So he's dominating the mock battle against his fellow contestants. Once the last opponent has been bested, Leon de Grants goes to the sword and attempts to pull it from the stone. He fails spectacularly. It's only because, again, his acting is at like an 11 when he's doing it. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to give himself a hemorrhoid. Well, you can tell... That the actor is not pulling on something, like, because the sword will, you know, like, an actor can just easily pull it out. So, you know, you can tell that he's he's pretending to be pulling, you know? Unlike but that there's no idiot, actual give. <laughs> unlike that idiot at Disneyland uh, muscle dude who's, like, pulled the, the fake sword out of the stone and broke it. Oh, did he really? Yeah, some idiot muscle guy. Oh, look what I can do. Yeah, you broke the sword. Oh, it's a prop. You didn't think... You thought it was real, huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Go join your party with the five other t-shirts that say, uh, you know, the, the, never mind. I want to do a funny bingo uh, at Disneyland, by the way, where people, like, unhappy people wearing those t-shirts, you know, where the group t-shirt and then someone's oh, yeah. super upset. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know, I just wish Bobby Rhodes popped up behind him and said, Your muscle, no brains, boy. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, continue. No, it's great. It made me think of that. When he so, pulled yeah, the sword so out, he went, <laughs> Then blew out his O-ring. <laughs> uh, everyone after, after, 
<laughs> Captain Picard, uh, Steve Rell, Relsbeck's boyfriend, uh, uh, watches. Riker comes up. I can do it. <laughs> Worf comes up. <laughs> I bet Riker could do it, baby. Yeah, Riker ruled. Yeah, dude. Of course, love fucking Riker. He's my favorite. I'm. Me I'm. A, I was a TNG kid, man, all the way. Yeah, samers. Everyone goes back to the festivities. Another jousting <laughs> tournament is set up and ready to go. But Arthur seems to have left Kay's sword in their tent. When he runs to fetch it, he sees a little thief running off with the weapon. Arthur gives chase and follows the lad into the woods. Two things. Uh, there is fan speculation that it was Merlin that stole the sword, Kay's sword, and then also posed as like the little kid. Like, that's Merlin, essentially. Um, but also, when Arthur is chasing after him, um, and he's about to kind of maybe, maybe steal another sword, that guy looks at him. That guy, forgot his name, but I know the factoid, that guy was the guy who made all the fucking suits of armor in the movie for everybody. Cool. And they're all, you know, custom-fitted and everything. Oh, that's awesome. The armor does get really good, by the way. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah, it does. And I love the designs, like the 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 horns on the front, yeah, and it's I very think it's, cool. Yeah, yeah. Kay and their father go off looking for Arthur. Arthur looks around the woods, but the little thief is gone. He turns around and sees the sword in the stone and a pre and the priest asleep next to it. The young squire looks at Excalibur, then the priest, then goes to pull out the sword, and the stone releases its hold on Excalibur. Arthur looks shocked, and so does his brother, who kind of just arrived. Arthur says, your sword was stolen, Kay, but here's Excalibur. Hmm. Yeah, see? Your sword oh, was stolen, Kay, but... I, I don't know where that came from, but you know what? I'll work on it. I, I, maybe it'll evolve as it goes along. I think you should stick with that. <laughs> you're like... Your sword, like, your sword was stolen, Kay, yeah. I thought you were going to say, I think you should stick with your regular voice. <laughs> no, I love it. I love how he's like, your store was stolen, but you could have this one. Here, the, you know the one from the rock that everyone's been trying to pull out for like the past few years. Yeah, and which of course is also very important because it shows that he doesn't want to be king like that. And that's always what the best leader is is always the one that doesn't want to be a leader. Essentially, no. Yeah, the best leader is always the one who has no fucking clue what they've just done. That's the leader <laughs> you want, right? Oh, hey, you want this one? <laughs> you just pulled out the sword, dude. That's a pretty big deal. It is? Yeah, that's the leader you want. That's that's the fucking muscle guy at fucking Disney World. I'm, I'm king of Disneyland now? I knew when I put this bracelet on, I'd be president. <laughs> I love how he wasn't drunk at that moment. You still made, you made the reference, but you kept it within the character of the muscle guy. That's, that's deep, buddy. That's a Try deep it. level. Try and if you want to know more about that reference, go check out the Carpenter Factor, our Patreon exclusive series especially the uh, Escape from New York episode. Yes. So Arthur hands Kay Excalibur. I love how shocked Kay is. Well, and, it's and a very uneventful moment. It's very uneventful when he does it. It's just he, like, he does it, and then, then yeah, Kay's yeah, it, shocked. And it becomes, like, more eventful sort of the second time. The second time, yeah. Take two. <laughs> Take two. Um, but I like how the, the father runs up and sees Kay holding the sword and asks if he's the one that freed it from the stone. I like how Kay's like, yes, no, no, it wasn't me. It was Arthur. I like I felt I felt like that was very human. Like, yeah, he wants the power, but his 
honorable side quickly overcame that. I appreciate that. Yep. Better than if him just saying Arthur did it, right? It, it adds a bit of a layer to the character. Yeah. Word is getting out about what happened, and people are starting to congregate around the scene. Arthur apologizes for pulling, of course, right? I'm sorry. Very Canadian of him. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for pulling out my sword. <laughs> you exposed yourself. And I like how his dad's like, well, put it back, you know? The priest wakes up to witness Arthur sliding the Excalibur back in. Deeper, deeper. Arthur, <laughs> Arthur's father tells him to try and draw it again. But another knight, Urians, says he will try first. He steps up to the plate and whiffs it. The whiff. <laughs> everyone yells to let the boy try. Now in front of everyone, Arthur walks up to Excalibur and easily removes it. I told Corey that our new motto should be, let the boy try. That, like, we need to put that on a t-shirt. Let the boy try, <laughs> podcasting after dark. Let the boy try. Let the boy try. <laughs> Almost everyone cheers and drops to their knees, and the priest says that they have their king. Arthur begs for his father to stand up. I was your son before I was your king, if I am a king. His dad says, you are king, the more so because you are not my son and I am not your father. Merlin the magician brought you to me when you were newly born and bade me to raise you as my own. At first I did because I feared Merlin, but later because I loved you. I love that too. I think that's great. That's sweet. Yeah. He took a hit off his crack pipe. (laughs) <laughs> no, it was very sweet. It was a sweet moment. Love is not always blood-related. I thought there was a joke there, but there wasn't. That was uh, very nice. Nicely said, my friend. Let the boy try. <laughs> Let the boy try. That's true. No, it's Let true. the boy try. Uh, we see Merlin walking up to the conversation in the distance. Arthur asks who his true father was and who is the, who this Merlin character is. The wizard walks up and says with a smile that he is Merlin. I think he was drunk, by the way, like wasted. <laughs> it looked like it. Yeah. Arthur asks who his parents were, and Merlin says Uther and Igraine. One of the knights, Lot, Syrian Hines, asks, what trickery is this? They don't seem to trust Merlin. Urins is also against this. Do you want a bastard as a king? The only knight on Arthur's side seems to be Leondegrantz. He knows what he saw. He knows what he saw. The boy I know the what sword. I saw. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I piloted the Enterprise and I was there. <laughs> As the crowd begins bickering with each other, Arthur looks at Merlin, but he's off walking into the woods. The young squire turned king runs after him with Excalibur in hand. When Arthur catches up to Merlin, he asks, Why have you done this to me? The wizard says, You were born to be a king. You will be the land, and the land will be you. If you fail, the land will perish. As you thrive, the land will blossom. Arthur asks, But why? Because you are king. Unlike Storm Shadow. <laughs> like that bastard Storm Shadow. Excalibur! <laughs> Running off in the distance. What episode was that? Do you remember? I think it's called Excalibur. Okay, okay, all right. And it's first series, right? The one in the first two? Yeah, so good. Uh, Yeah, it is. The Sunbow stuff, not the Deke stuff. Oh, no, it's Sunbow. Because, like, this little little village gets overtaken by water and doesn't stop raining because they've taken the, the sword out of the lake. So good. 
That's awesome. I'm sure I've Footloose seen it. Footloose is in it. Footloose is in it, you know? <laughs> of course. You know, you got to. Uh... Arthur yells no and breaks free of Merlin's grasp, only to turn around and find that the wizard is no longer there. The boy king walks deeper into the woods and finds Merlin asleep on a tree in a makeshift campsite. Merlin's eyes are slightly open, and we see that they are red. I like that we don't ever get a proper backstory of Merlin or, like, sort of explanations, but it's it's all so cool and magical, man. Yeah. I mean, he's the epitome of, of good and evil. Yeah. He's, like, everything wrapped into one. Yep. It's now nighttime, and Arthur is sitting next to Merlin's sleeping body. The squire hears something and gets up to investigate. He's startled by all the animals and snakes slithering about. Then he's startled by Merlin's hand on his throat. What are you so afraid of? Arthur doesn't know. Shall I tell you what's out there? The dragon. A beast of such power that if you were to see it whole, it would burn you to cinders. Arthur asks where the dragon is. Merlin says it is everywhere and it is everything. Its scales glisten in the bark of trees. Its roars heard in the wind. And its forked tongue strikes like... Like... And then boom, a lightning bolt hits the tree and Merlin <laughs> says, Whoa! <laughs> like lightning. Excalibur! <laughs> At this point now, I just picture uh, Storm Shatter just running around naked. <laughs> without Excalibur, just running around naked screaming Excalibur. With, but he's got his hood on his face. Yeah, yeah, he's, oh, of course, of course. Because you can't give up okay. your... No, no course identity <laughs> even in the throes of madness he, he knows baroness that. is like i reckon <laughs> lady is like i know that penis <laughs> that's 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 snake eyes that's Never mind. i know <sighs> arthur asks what he should do merlin says do nothing be still sleep rest in the arms of the dragon dream arthur falls asleep on merlin's shoulder the next morning, we see Arthur swinging Excalibur around without any skill whatsoever. Merlin wakes up and, and Arthur says, Excal Excalibur is part of the dragon too. <laughs> the sleepy wizard says, the boy learns quickly. Arthur asks about Uther, his father. Was he a great king? Merlin says he was rash. Merlin, will you help me to be wise, not to be rash? The young king asks, but the wizard just walks off into the woods. He says, Arthur has a kingdom to rule. And Arthur says, but how? I don't know how. Merlin says, you knew how to draw the sword from the stone. Arthur says that was easy. Was it? I couldn't have done it. Arthur says he doesn't know where to start. Merlin asks what the boy th thinks has been happening while he's been away in the woods. Arthur says that his brother and father are probably waiting for him. Most of the great knights were against me except Leandegras and Camillard. Camillard. Christ, sorry. <laughs> Can Camel, Camel, Cameltoe. Cameltoe Annie. <laughs> but if he supports me, the others will turn against him. Merlin says that even now they lay siege to his castle. Arthur says that he needs him and they must help him. Merlin says, There you are. That was easy too, wasn't it? Arthur says they have to get back, and Merlin says, There they are. We see Arthur's followers camping in the woods. Included are his adopted brother and father. 
They all cheer for him and ask what he wants of them. Arthur gets on, on a horse and says, Any man who would be a knight and follow a king, follow me! And tells his Red followers... Red Bull give me wings! <laughs> That's what I was going for. I was trying to go for that high pitch, you know, fade away type of thing. Uh, they're going to go help Leon de Grants, whose castle is under siege. And they all ride off into the sunset. End of movie. <laughs> yeah. The end. <laughs> the end. And then cue blazing saddles. Ah, <laughs> there you go. You know, morons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut to Leon de Grasse defending his castle and daughter, Guinevere, from the siege. He is on the ramparts fighting with his men. They seem to be losing, even though the captain of the Enterprise is fighting valiantly. Just then, we see Merlin, Arthur, and his followers racing out from the tree line to help their besieged allies. They use their surprise attack to cut the invaders' reinforcements off from the main siege. As Arthur's adopted brother Kay and his men hold the invading army in the moat, the young king scales the castle wall to help Leandegrasse. As he bravely fights off the invaders, Guinevere sees this and is quite impressed. Arthur takes a sword to his side, but it's not a fatal blow. He keeps fighting along the walls, but sees a chance to take the fight to Urin's the knight that would not accept Arthur's kingship in the moat below. This is a little... Like, like, this movie does such a great job of keeping things realistic, but this one's not. Arthur leaps off from the castle wall with Excalibur in hand and tackles Urins off of his horse. Now, clearly it's a stunt double because the guy who's playing Arthur, when he tackles the guy who's playing Urins off the horse, like... They both kind of go in the water, but you can tell where their bodies are. Yeah. Erin's horse, like, clearly tramples that stunt guy who's playing oh, Arthur. Yeah. But, and so, it's not, this is not realistic, but it's okay. It gets a pass, but I kind of wish it wasn't from the top of the ramparts that he leapt on him from. Yeah, I mean, the, again, it's 1981. We fixed all this shit later on. <laughs> yeah like it's like we, we figured out like if we're gonna be realistic we stay within these parameters yeah so he tackles urins off the horse then holds the magical sword against the rogue knight's neck and says swear faith to me and you shall have mercy i need battle lords such as you urins is disgusted and says a noble knight swear faith to a squire never Everyone stops fighting to see what is going to happen. This is probably my top three favorite scenes in the entire fucking movie. Yeah, me too. Arthur looks around, then back at Urins and says, You're right. I'm not a knight. You will knight me. Then as a knight tonight, I can offer you mercy. The boy king hands Urins Excalibur, then kneels in the moat before his opponent. Everyone, including Urins and Merlin, are absolutely shocked by this Urins grabs Excalibur and holds it high while Arthur looks up at him the entire battlefield is silent Urins trembles by the way that trembling is real because that water is bitter cold apparently then he uses the sword to knight Arthur right there in the moat in the name of God, St. Michael and St. George, I give you the right to bear arms and the power to make justice. Arthur says, A duty I will solemnly obey as knight and king. 
Merlin smiles and says, I never saw this. Excalibur! Excalibur is mine! No. Storm Shadow? Hang tight. Not today. Just hang tight, buddy. What about me? El Skeletor, get the hell out of here now. (laughs) Erns looks at the boy and says, Rise, King Arthur! Then he falls to his knees and gives Excalibur back to the rightful owner as he swears allegiance. All the other knights do the same. So yeah, dude fucking baller scene i kind of like even the like when i was watching this the first time for breaking it down i didn't remember the scene i was like i don't know where the scene is going and i'm just like shit that first off that took some balls to do but also because every moment in this movie has to be important you understand where he's coming from now like holy shit now urins and all these other guys are going to be like are going to be the knights of the fucking round table yeah this is where it starts pretty much and he's he's immediately earned their trust right awesome Cut to Arthur sitting shirtless under a tree and Guinevere is tending his wounds. He is clearly taken with her and keeps smelling her hair as she leans in to apply ointment. She says he will have to stay with her at the castle and rest for a few days while they heal. Cut to a celebration in the castle. We see Arthur dancing with Guinevere Guinevere, until his wounds get the better of him and he has to sit down by Merlin. We see a young Liam Neeson as one of the knights dancing about. Merlin isn't too pleased when he sees Arthur looking at Guinevere. The young man says, a king must marry after all. He then asks if Merlin can make her love him. Merlin shoots back. Now look, I once stood exposed to the dragon's breath so that a man could lie one night with a woman. It took me nine months to recover and all for this lunacy called love. Never again. Never. Arthur asks if Merlin can tell him who he's going to marry at least. The wizard says, Lady J, I mean, Guinevere. (laughs) And a beloved friend will betray you. Richard Gere. (laughs) But all Arthur hears is Guinevere. Merlin reminds him of his duty to the land and its people, but Arthur just keeps staring at his would-be wife, dancing with a lot of other men. Guinevere spins her way over to Arthur and tells him she made him special cakes that will help heal him, but not too quickly. And they'll make him sleepy so he can't escape, she says with a smile. Merlin's space cakes. <laughs> yeah, dude. They're... These were the first space cakes, man. I think so. <laughs> Merlin says to Arthur that looking at the cake is like looking at the future. Until you've tasted it, what do you really know? Space cakes. And then, of course, it's too late. Arthur takes a bite and Merlin says, Too late. Ashy, give me some of those space cakes, just like Bogey did with, just like Bogey and Bacall. What? No. Quick kick, get out of here. Fucking quick kick, man. By the way, I never cared for his impressions. I wasn't I never cared for his impressions, but I love quick kick. I love quick kick, but I never, I was like, why do you got to make him so comical? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Shipwreck is for. Shipwreck was comic relief. I know, and you you love your shipwreck, and he was always my least favorite Joe. I'm sorry. He, he I mean, has his moments. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's just because like his costume is just a a sailor's costume. Like, there's nothing sort of to it. But I kind of do like his origin because he was kind of a well, he was just a pirate essentially, right? And yeah, then he's a pirate. Yeah, and he, but he was kind of like. Working at a, at a um at a Cobra base essentially. Yeah, he was AWOL, basically. I think he like 
He jumped ship. He jumped ship, matey. <laughs> Someone's listening to this right now going, that was a terrible version of shipwreck. <laughs> no, I love I love your shipwreck. You do a great job of shipwreck. Thanks. I think I do, too. <laughs> There's a huge time jump, and Arthur, clad in armor, is leading his knights through the kingdom. They come to a bridge where a lone knight is besting the king's men one at a time. Yep. We have won battles against armies, and now one man defeats all my knights? Arthur tells his men he will face the opponent alone. His knights try to stop him, but he rides off towards destiny. Arthur! Now they're like, no, wait, sire... (laughs) No, don't, don't go. Don't go. <laughs> halt. <laughs> it's, I mean, because hey. they're all like, they all come back. They're all like hunched over and everything, you know? All ass kicked. Yep. I told you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, Arthur tells the knight to move aside. It is the king's road and he's the king. The opponent announces himself. I am Lancelot of the Lake from across the sea, and I have yet to find a king worthy of my sword. That's a wild boast, Arthur shoots back. You lack a knight's humility. Not a boast, sir, but a curse. For I have never met my match in joust or duel. Lancelot tells Arthur and his men to retreat or prove his worth in the test of arms under the eyes of God. Arthur won't back down, so they have a quick jousty match which the king ultimately loses as arthur gets to his feet his squire quickly hands him excalibur lancelot tells him to yield he doesn't want to harm the king he knocks arthur down with a poke of his lance then dismounts his horse just in time to dodge arthur's swing lancelot says your rage has unbalanced you as he dodges the king and taps him in the butt with his sword The knight from across the sea is clearly Arthur's better and is pissing him off. You, sir, would fight to the death against a knight who is not your enemy for a stretch of road you could easily ride around? A very maniacal-looking Arthur says, So be it! To the death! I like how he kind of just hears what he wants to hear. Yeah, pretty much. The two continue their violent and bloody dance until they fall into the river below. Arthur calls upon the power of Excalibur. The sword glows green. He swings it down at Lancelot, who tries to block it with his spear, but the magical weapon cuts through and hits Lancelot in... Shit, I wrote these sentences. (laughs) He swings it down at Lancelot, who tries to block it with his spear, but the magical weapon cuts through it and hits Lancelot of the lake in his chest. But this also breaks Excalibur in two. Arthur looks at the broken sword, then Merlin, and asks, What has he done? You have broken what cannot be broken. Hope is broken. Arthur says, My pride broke it. My rage broke it. And then throws Excalibur into the river next to Lancelot, who's uh, who's lying unconscious on the rocks. This excellent knight, who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change the verdict. I've lost for all time the ancient sword of my fathers, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. I am nothing. And I love, I think one of my favorite aspects of Arthur is he does seem to, like, learn from his mistakes and try. Yeah. And actually tries to grow. Yeah, I agree. I, I la- This is one of my favorite moments, too, because he's like, what did I do, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And I liked how, like, I called it, like, maniacal, but it's true. Like, he was, like, crazy-eyed and everything earlier, but now yep. he's, like, because he did it. He, you know, he let everything overcome him. And this is kind of like, it's kind of like an Empire Strikes Back, Luke going into the, the Dagobah cave, you know? Yeah. Like, this is when he has to learn now to be tempered and, and not to be rash. He got triggered. <laughs> like a goddamn liberal. <laughs> Just then, the Lady of the Lake materializes in the water and raises a restored Excalibur into the air. Arthur wades into the water and takes the magical sword back. Arthur walks back to Lancelot, who's now waking up, and says he's happy the night is alive. Lancelot is pretty happy, too. Aye, the best knight in the world, bested. This is a great day, for my search is over. My king! Lancelot pledges his allegiance to Arthur, and the king makes him his champion. I like how, I love how Lancelot's like, this is great! Guys, guys, <laughs> do, do you see what's going on here? Guys, shut up, stop smiling. And then Lancelot takes off his helmet, and it's Storm Shadow! Excalibur! Excalibur! <laughs> didn't see that one coming, matey. Okay. I didn't see any of this coming at all. I'm sure Rob didn't either. <laughs> Rob's like, Rob's like, what Hello, the fuck? darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Cut to Arthur and his knights cheering on top of a mountain. They have pushed back all the invaders and the land is free. Arthur proclaims that the wars are over. One land, one king, peace. The wars are over. One land, one king, peace. Stand back. Be silent. Be still. That's it. And look upon this moment. Savor it. Rejoice with great gladness. Great gladness. Remember it always. For you are joined by it. You are one. Under the stars. Remember it well then. This night. This great victory. So that in the years ahead, you can say, I was there that night with Arthur, the king. For it is the doom of men that they forget. Merlin, your wisdom has forged this ring. Hereafter, so that we remember our bonds. We shall always come together in a circle to hear and tell of deeds good and brave. I will build a round table where this fellowship shall meet. Yeah. And a hall about the table. Yeah. And a castle about the hall. Yeah. And I will marry. Ah. <laughs> and the land will have an heir to wield Excalibur. Of the round table. Yeah. 
Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light. And that's the end of the movie. No, I'm just kidding. This is the <laughs> end of chapter two. Pretty much, pretty much. Cut to Lancelot riding his horse into a castle and being greeted by Leandergrans. He says it's a great day. Everything is prepared and they leave at dawn. Leon de Grants then introduces his daughter, Guinevere, to Lancelot. Here, here. Now, hold on. Let me do my Patrick Stewart. Here, here is Arthur's greatest knight. Come to us. Go to, to the king. Not bad. Says me to myself. They look at each other and their smiles fade. They are instantly in love, but also instantly know they can't be. And now this is some great face acting on both of them. Yeah, totally. The next morning, Lancelot leads Guinevere's caravan through the woods. She rides up to Lancelot to talk to him. She asks if there's a woman in the world that inspires him. I love how honest he is. He looks at her and says, you. Yeah. Guinevere laughs, but he isn't joking. I will love you always. I will love you as my queen and as the wife of my best friend, my BFF. Hugh <laughs> Brian Adams song. <laughs> it's a classic love story. I haven't seen Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves in forever. Now we should see first night's good. Like this is all first night shit, you know, in, in, in his relationship with, um, Oh God, I, you know, uh, the Guinevere in that it, it's, just, it's a beautiful story. Cause you're like, yeah, this guy clearly like they're meant to be, but Merlin kind of Merlin's the uh, Julia Ormond that is, that's who's in that by the way. Um, but anyways, is Merlin also in First Night? Because I Merlin I, is not. It doesn't have Merlin in it, and I think a lot of people had took umbrage with it because they're like, this isn't the same story. I feel like that's the only thing I remember about that movie, even though I've never seen it. I remember it being the quote unquote realistic version, like no magic version, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think when I heard that, I was like, well, so you took out the best parts. Okay. <laughs> I know. But it's Richard Gere and a gerbil. No, sorry. <laughs> Bold choice, Cotton. Bold choice. Yes. Guinevere looks at Lancelot sadly and falls back into her spot in the caravan. Cut to a beautiful wedding in the woods. All of Arthur's knights are there in shiny silver armor. And Guinevere's maids of honor look just as impressive in their dress. It is an amazing sight to behold. I mean, again, guys, there's no, there's matte paintings in this, but there's no CGI. And these sets are fucking amazing. Agreed. <laughs> there's a moment in this wedding, too, where um, Lancelot's eyes blink when the, the bells chime. Like, on, I'm sure it's intentional. Oh, beer. Deeds good and true. Is this from your fridge? Yeah, my little fridge, baby. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, because I'm. Anytime you ever see me like duck out, I'm getting I'm getting my beer out of my fridge. <laughs> Every time, anytime you see me do that, it's because I'm petting my dog. I kind of figured. I actually kind of figured. As the wedding is happening, we see Morgana, now older and played by Helen Mirren, looking back at Merlin. She follows him as he leaves the ceremony. She asks if he knows her. Morgana of Cornwall. Merlin says she has her father's eyes. She says he is a cr- 
she says she is a creature like Merlin. He looks at her and tests her knowledge. What is the stone that burns? Sulfur, to mix with mercury. What is that root? Morgana picks it out of the ground. Mandrake, the essence of it can prolong the act of love. And if too much is taken? Pain and death. I was like, give me some of that mandrake, yo. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. It's like all night, baby. With Helen Mirren, baby. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear that story. I'm going to listen. When I'm editing this, I'm going to make a note and be like, because I do that. I'll make a little wrap up after dark note whenever I'm editing. So I oh, do yeah. Wanna... <laughs> You're going to like that. Oh, That's boy. I can't believe I never told you that story. I, me too, buddy. I'm, when you were mentioning it, I was like, how do I not know this? <laughs> It's wild. Uh, he is pleased by her answers. I am pleased by your answer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you do know something of the art. Want to go on a date? <laughs> then he asks if she has the sight. Can she see the future? She says, sometimes I dream of things that come to pass. Look now, he demands. What do you see? Morgana says she sees a castle of silver and gold and points to where it will be. Merlin says that is well known. She'll have to do better than that. Cut to Morgana and Merlin walking further away from the wedding ceremony. He says the way of the necromancer is a lonely path to walk. Morgana says she can ease Merlin's loneliness. She wants him to teach her more, and she'll be his companion. Merlin says, The days of our kind are numbered. The one god comes to drive out the many gods. The spirits of wood and stream grow silent. It's the time of men and their ways. He puts his arm around Morgana. We cut back to the wedding and see Arthur kiss Guinevere. Yeah, dude, I hear so like I get so much of like Lord of the Rings and stuff like the time of men and things like that. I and I don't know like where th- where these things are starting. Like I don't know if if Lord of the Rings like was that line in Lord of the Rings because it was in Excalibur, not the movie, but you know the book or something. Yeah. And is it in Excalibur because it was in Lord of the Rings, but now it's in Lord of the Rings because it's in Excalibur? You know what I mean? There's so much um, parallel and similarity between this and so many other fabled fantasy stories, and Dungeons and Dragons, and. Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light, Excalibur! <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons brought to you by Zach and Corey. That's Zach right. Zach and Corey! <laughs> oh, man. Man alive. I love Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> Especially G.I. Joe and Visionaries. Oh, I love Visionaries, too. I just didn't love the toys as much as I love the cartoons. Ah, oh, they blew it. They did. They should have yeah, had... got this great idea. We're going to make them bigger than G.I. Joe figures, but only by like an inch. Yeah, yeah, like just just enough that they can't fit in the vehicles and shit. Just enough. And then instead of coming with a staff with like the hologram thing, like why didn't they come with like an animal like molded, you know, no joints, but like like a little thing, like an animal, the representation in a clear plastic or something like that. Even if it didn't move, I would have had more fun than with that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I think we had this discussion on our um, top eight. uh, What were they like? Um, obscure 80s toys or something like that. Yeah, because Visionaries, I think, got brought up on it by one mm-hmm. of us. Yeah, they, Pro- they blew it. You. They blew it. They did. Go back and listen to that episode, guys and gals. This is like season one. That's good stuff, guys. Go check it out. 
Cut to Lancelot in full armor, riding his horse through the woods. A young man, who we later find out is Percival, is stalking him with a knife. Zach's, like, making, like, a trotting, like he's trotting on the horse. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good. I'm in love with another man's wife. It's okay. I'll die someday because of it. It's okay. It's okay. She'll become a nun after what I do to her. That's that's the most depressing part. She became a nun after yes. she after they made it. No. He turned her she got so turned off that she became a nun. Jesus, man. Or that dick was so good that there's just no going back. She went, Jesus. And Jesus said, Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on to me, baby. Come on, come baby. on over here. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus, did you see like the drawing of the, his face that they had uh, by, uh, by the wedding or whatever? I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be Arthur or Jesus. I was like, what the fuck? I know. I'm like, probably gonna, it's supposed to be Arthur, but looks like God, Jesus. I hate religion. God, I, hate religion. <laughs> I do too, buddy. I fucking do too, man. Uh, so he sees the guy. Percival Lancelot kind of just like yeah whatever just sort of rides away the scene fades and we see Lancelot taking a nap under a tree Percival tries to sneak up on the king's champion but Lancelot draws his sword and says run home to your mother boy Percival Percival runs away and ducks behind a tree then we see him tackle a rabbit cut again to Lancelot sleeping under the tree but now a skinned rabbit is roasting on a fire near him I hope that was not the real rabbit that they skinned uh, it was a rabbit. Like, that wasn't a fake rabbit. I mean, I don't know if it was that rabbit, but that was a real dead rabbit, though. It was, yeah. Yeah, cooking. Well, it's no worse than fucking the first episode of Little House on the Prairie where the guy, you know, the friend with the giant beard, um, you know, the neighbor guy, whoever the fuck that was, fucking explodes ahead of a rattlesnake with a shotgun. And, <laughs> That's like, and it was real. It was fucking real. Well, they have a clown on Little House on the Prairie rape a young girl, so... There you yeah, go. That show was wild. <laughs> uh, so cut again. We see Lancelot sleeping under the tree, but now a skin, a skin rabbit roasting on a fire near him. He walks over to the rabbit, looks down, and smiles. Cut to Lancelot riding his horse with Percival running behind him. The young boy is pleading to go with the knight. He says he wants to be a knight too. Lancelot stops and asks, Do you know what it means to serve a knight that serves a king? He offers his hand to Percival and tells him to jump on the back of his horse. The boy says he'll run. Lancelot laughs and says it's more than 20 days from here. Percival says, and this is cool, 20 days? The world's not that big. Well, it's not that big. You don't go down that road. <laughs> hey. What do you mean? That, you're talking cuckoo talk. I mean, I, I, I thought of Forrest Gump for some reason. Because oh, like, of the running. Yeah. I'll follow you. Jenny. Jenny. Lance a lot. The other night, Kristen's like, should we show that to Bodhi? I'm like, no. She goes, why? I'm like, because I don't like that movie. She's like, okay. Because fuck that movie. Fuck yeah. Forrest Gump, man. Fuck that movie Forrest sucks. Gump. God. Also, man, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had to fucking pee. Like, right away. I was on a date. I went to saw that movie with somebody on a date. Never went past that it's date. It's fine. It's one but of the movies that was It's like three it's hours fine. long, and I had to pee like halfway through it, and I, yeah. I didn't because I wanted to be cool. I think I might have done bladder damage to myself. It beat out, uh, didn't it beat out Pulp Fiction or Best yeah, Picture that year? I'm like, come on, no. That's the biggest egregious. That was thing. when I was like, the Oscars suck. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's one of the biggest fucking Oscar bullshits ever. The two men stand atop a hill and see a shiny gold and silver castle by a lake. The young man, Percival, asks what it is, and Lancelot says, Camelot. What it is? <laughs> what it is, baby? <laughs> Yo, what Lancelot, do? what it is? What up with that? Lancelot rides his horse through the outlying village and into Camelot, while Percival runs behind him, and everyone cheers for the king's champion. Once they arrive at the castle, Lancelot asks Kay to train the boy. Arthur's adopted brother sends the kid to the kitchen to work. Percival runs past Guinevere and Morgana. The scene stays with them. Kay asks if Lancelot is staying. There's a meeting of the round table. Lancelot sees Guinevere and she sees him. The queen waves, but the knight tells Kay he cannot stay and then rides off without waving back, much to the disappointment of Guinevere. Morgana takes note of the exchange. I'm like, sometimes I, I, because I'm, you know, typing this out sometimes i wrote morgan by accident and now i'm like uh ron burgundy and i read exactly what's on there <laughs> and i'm like morgan loves lancelot loves lancelot it reminds me of that 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 moment that moment always or any moment where a guy loves a girl who's already taken uh, always reminds me of the scene in summer school when Kirstie Alley is dating the principal and uh, Mark Harmon is like, you kids have fun. Cause they're like, we're going to go on a, you know, he's I was like, I'm going to take her out on a date or whatever. And, uh, and like his look on his face is like, he's so into Kirstie Alley, you know, he's got it, but he knows that she's taken. Yeah. It's like, you kids have fun. I've used that line before. I used that line before back in the day. As a one singular tear kind of goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Who's laughing now, huh? (laughs) Who's laughing now? (laughs) This is my boomstick. Excalibur! Excalibur! (laughs) Every time Zach does it, his face, like, lights up. He comes to life. I'm so excited about (laughs) it. I know. I know. We should have just done a G.I. Joe after show podcast. We're doing a G.I. Joe uh, episode. We are. After the recording of this, we're recording a G.I. Joe Christmas episode. Stay tuned for that. We are for TV Obscura, yeah. Uh, so seeing we cut back to Percival now making his way through the castle there are people and jesters and all sorts of wild sights to behold he even bumps into Merlin causing the wizard to hit his head and in a moment of comedy Percival tells huh I like that moment me too I sometimes you know what sometimes you need a little comedy dude this is the one one of the few moments in this movie where you can laugh at something intentionally And yes, you're right. It's it's intentional because I mean it's a it's a very heavy movie, but this is a moment. Uh, Percival tells him the castle is no place for an old man. Merlin says he built the damn thing. I love how Percival, unfazed by this, says, "Then can you tell me where the kitchen is?" Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Merlin tells him to follow his nose. Percival does, and it leads him to into a balcony overlooking Arthur and his men at the round table. He says he must be dreaming. Then someone tells him to get away from there. We got another time jump, and now there's a banquet at the castle, and Percival is bringing wine to all the knights, and I guess their wives, their ladies, you know, I, I don't know. But it's it's like knight, wife, or female companion, knight, female, knight, female, essentially. And then knight, knight. 
<laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, I'm like, <laughs> you know that's the truth. You know, one of those guys was looking at his wife, and she's like, you haven't touched me in ever. That's Guinevere. <laughs> Pretty much. That's by her choice, though, I think. Yes, yes. But she put him, she made moves on him first. She wanted it first. She wanted it more than she, he did. <laughs> well, that's a slippery path right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's from Fast Times at Ridgemont High before anyone jumps ahead. You wanted it more than I did. Don't I, say that. I know. It's, I know. I know the scene. I haven't seen that in forever, but it was <laughs> when I was younger, I watched it a lot. I just haven't seen it like in 15, 20 years. So fucking funny. 75 bucks in a ride. <laughs> Did you pick up the Criterion uh, Blu-ray? Oh, I got that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a cool so cover. Good. Great cover for it. Dude, it's so good. I love I love Fast Times. I just got the uh, Criterion original Night of the Living Dead on 4K. So did I. Oh, dude. Yeah. How cool is that cover? It's a great cover, it's isn't beautiful. it? beautiful. I actually got the Blu-ray because 4K, I'm like, do I need the 4K? My philosophy is if I own it on Blu-ray, I don't upgrade to 4K. But if I don't have it, like the last version I had of the original Night of the Living Dead was a Blockbuster VHS copy. Like Blockbuster branded. You know oh, what wow. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I never owned it on DVD, never owned it on Blu-ray. So I was like, ah, fine, I'll get the 4K. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. I got Hollywood Shuffle on Blu-ray. Nice. And I got Repo Man. I got the Repo Man one you got oh, the, finally. The, yeah, the Criterion. Oh, that's a great cover too, man. That's yeah, a great set. I can't wait for that uh, MVD joysticks uh, to come out. Oh, hell yeah. And Hardware Wars is coming out on. I saw that. I saw that. Wild. MVD's doing some great shit these days. They sure Especially are. since um, the Hardware Wars looks great. looks like a an old VHS cover, but the, the, uh, the joysticks one... The box art looks like a freaking Atari uh, cover case. Amazing! I, I'm, I'm like, I'm I've never seen the movie. I'm buying it for the cover art alone. Well, you're in for a treat. Woo! Uh, I know it's a little sleazy, so it's, it's I think it's right up my alley. I believe uh, it's it's uh, by today's standards, it's fairly harmless. Ah, uh, probably. But I like uh, it's and it's like early '80s, late '70s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Good stuff. It'll be, it'll be worth it for the fashion. Some alone. surprise actors in there. You're gonna be like, holy shit, that guy's in it. Awesome. I love it. Can't wait. I think that the uh, thing's coming out in February, but I'm, I haven't seen the, the pre-order hasn't gone up yet on oh, Amazon. Oh, it's up. Is it on, on yep. Amazon? It's up now. Okay. All right. I'll do it after we uh, finish <laughs> this. We're about halfway through. Awesome. So like I said, another time jump, and now there's a banquet at the castle, and Percival's bringing wine to all the knights and their wives. We see Gawain, Liam Neeson, talking to Morgana and drinking wine. Gawain. <laughs> Percival brings the wine to the empty seat next to Arthur and Guinevere. The king says, Lancelot doesn't come once more, but we must fill his cup to show our love for him. Percival pours wine into the missing knight's metal cup. Gawain and Morgana are looking over at the king and queen. She says, watch Guinevere. Remember what I told you about them. She gets up and goes to talk to Merlin, leaving Gawain in an angry state. Morgana says, Your eyes never leave me, Merlin. To which he replies, Can't I acknowledge beauty? She quickly shoots back, Can't you acknowledge love? Perhaps you ache for what you've never known. The wizard confidently says, Perhaps you lust for what you cannot have. Sickburn. burn. <laughs> 
Ashton Kutcher pops out behind like a Pet Seventies show. He's like, "Oh, burn! Oh, burn!" <laughs> and then Danny Masterson. Oh, nope. <laughs> canceled. <laughs> and then Danny Elfman. Oh, nope. Oh, canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and then Danny uh, Trejo. Not canceled, not canceled because he's a fucking awesome guy. Bam. Boom. <laughs> Merlin, Merlin tries to walk away, but Arthur's sister says, Cannot have, but you promised. All your secrets. You said you'd show me everything. <laughs> I've shown you too much already. <laughs> Zach almost couldn't get that line out. <laughs> I showed you I showed you the dragon between my legs. <laughs> There is but one dragon in this kingdom. <laughs> and it belongs inside my pants. They don't call me Donger for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Donger. I love 80s movies' names. <laughs> Gawang. <laughs> Arthur sees this and yells from the table, Merlin! You counselor to the king or to my sister? At your service, sir. Then answer me this. For years... Peace has reigned in the land. Crops grow in abundance. There's no want. Every one of my subjects enjoys his portion of happiness and justice. Tell me, Merlin, have we defeated evil? As it seems we have. Good and evil. There never is one without the other. Where hides evil, then, in my kingdom? Always... Where you never expect it. Always. Then he leaves the room. Peace out, bitches. <laughs> Merlin drops the fucking mic. <laughs> drops his giant metal <laughs> head. Drops the, the gong. <laughs> Don't need drops, this anymore. He drops the dragon out of his pants. <laughs> Thump. Everyone gasps. Shk. Shk. <laughs> <laughs> So Gwang, very drunkenly, <laughs> says he knows where the evil is, but when pressed further, he says he cannot say. Arthur tells him to speak his heart and tell them where the evil is. Gwang says, he's our best and bravest. Why then is he never here? Without Lancelot, this table is nothing. Everyone gasps. <gasps> Gwang goes on. Is there anyone here that doesn't think him a god? And now to be driven from us by a woman's desire. And he points at Guinevere. Everyone gasps louder this time. <gasps> I was hoping for a tra the Travolta from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> Who? <laughs> what? Where? That is one show that I didn't watch ever. Like even in, you know, Nick at Night reruns and stuff oh, like that. Like, so that good, and dude. I know you love it. And, and I have no... I have an interest in watching it. I don't know where it's streaming. I imagine probably Tubi or Amazon free, freebie or whatever. But dude, I never it just completely that one missed me, man. Completely. Oh man, you got to We got to rectify that. We we're gonna should. Have to do, we're gonna have to do a TV obscura all like in school an episode. Oh. You know, yeah, ep like everything that, that takes place, place in a, yeah, it takes place in the school. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm I'm always down with that, my friend. We got. We got a list of TV obscure ideas that'll yeah, last us year. fucking ten years. In the year five thousand. <laughs> oh man, that was a great bit back on. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Everyone, yeah, so everyone gasps louder that time, too. <gasps> Arthur jumps up to his feet, but his queen holds him back. In the idolist that comes with peace, I see that gossip has bred its own evil, says somebody who wants to fuck their fucking husband's BFF. Pretty much. She goes on and says she will forgive Gawain for his hasty words, then offers for him to drink from Lancelot's cup and partake in his goodness. She passes the cup around the table, and when it gets to Gawain, he cries, then pours it out. Arthur says, You dare accuse the queen, Gawain? He says, I do. Arthur draws his sword and says, Were he not king, he would make the man pay for his words. Guinevere asks, Will you not champion me? Arthur says he cannot. He is her king and must be her judge in this. Lancelot must do it as he's as he also stands accused. Arthur proclaims, I decree that at sunrise, two days from now, the champions will meet and the truth shall be known. For by the law of God, no knight who is false can win in combat with one who is true. That's preposterous. (laughs) Cut to Arthur and Guinevere fighting about why Arthur can't champion in battle. My laws must bind everyone, high and low, or they are not laws at all. She says, but he is her husband. I must be king first, before husband, if need be, before love. Arthur pulls Guinevere close and hugs him, and hugs her. And then she says, some kind of man you are. So, and that's, I think... I think you're pretty accurate there because I kind of feel like this is when she falls out of love with him for like, and I don't think she was ever as she, she lusts after Lancelot. I think, I believe she probably loves Arthur, but I think that love took a hit here. But at the same time, I love Arthur's stance where he's like, if I'm not beholden to these same laws, then they're not laws at all. And I love that. I love how much honor he has. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, they're both right in their own ways. And then she's like, but I'm your fucking wife. Like, defend me. I mean, and then he's like, rules are rules. <laughs> and then he takes off his mask and he storm shadow. Excalibur! Excalibur! <laughs> she goes, God damn it, I knew he was here somewhere. <laughs> you should have picked me, babe. Babe? <laughs> he was quite the ladies' man. Well, he thought he was. Shipwreck thought he was the ladies' man. He thought he was. Mm-hmm. Duke was the ladies' man. Fuck yeah. Du- Duke fucks. <laughs> Duke fucks. Flint fucks, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Flint, hell yeah. Fuck That's yeah. why I was Flint for Halloween. Yeah. This guy's a badass. Yeah. And that's, that's why your wife was not Jinx for Halloween. I wanted to be Falcon. I told her I'd be Falcon if she was Jinx. That would have made sense. Now that would have been perfect. Yeah, you were. It was perfect. But you know, Jinx she made, and Falcon, and then she's like, "I'm not do, gonna do that." And I'm like, "Okay, then you're I gonna know. be Lady J." She's like, "Who's that?" And I went. <laughs> perfect. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. 
Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to outside Camelot, and we see Lancelot praying to a god. Sorry. Cut to outside Camelot, and we see Lancelot praying to God. Lord, we are innocent, but not in our hearts. To hold her once in my arms, I would sacrifice everything. God, save me from myself. Purge me of this love so I can defend her. Fade to later that night, and Lancelot is asleep naked in the woods. Yeah, I'm like, dude, that's ballsy. We're about to see some serious wang action, too. We're about to see his motherfucking taint. You see his fucking taint. His arm, or he's that. Got a, he's got a great ass, too. He's got a very supple ass. I mean, he's a, a good-looking dude. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I didn't mind seeing his taint. I was like, sure, show your taint. I mean, I did. I was like, I don't need to see that. But <laughs> and I'm like, again, I saw this when I was five or six. <laughs> You're like, mommy. You're killing me. You're killing me. This episode, man. <laughs> As he's sleeping, the armor is standing by itself over him, holding his sword. Star Wars. Yeah, there's, dude, there's some, uh, yeah, this is, this gave me shades of, again, of the Dagobah cave. And, but that's the thing, like, they were the same year, so I don't know if, like. But if this is based on source material that was written, you know. And I have no clue if this scene is, like, in the original stories. I don't know. I think it was, this story was written over 500 years ago, something like that. It was written in, like, 1400 something, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something crazy like that. Yeah. And this movie, this movie came out in um, April of '81. So I was, yeah, I was still five. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Good times. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You wouldn't be d- doing this show if that was the case. That's true. <laughs> it's true. It's actually very true. True. <laughs> And this is also like uh, the Dagobah thing because you see Lancelot's face in the mask yes. when he puts it down. Yes. Well, Just, we've already proven that Lucas is not very original. No, no, he's no, he's not. No, he's not. But but what he did do great, which was translate the hero's journey almost yes, perfectly. I, absolutely. Yeah. Lancelot gets to his feet and is sliced a few times by his own sword before he can wrestle the armor to the ground. He kind of lands on top of it. We also get to see Lancelot's taint in this scene. Okay, that's where I put the note down. <laughs> as the knight as the knight removes the visor, he sees no one is inside. And he says, Guinevere, I fight myself. Lancelot then rolls over, and we see his own sword is sticking out of his side. 
He pulls it out and faints. But, dude, that was a fantastic effect. Yeah, I wrote that down. I was like, that's a it's really realistic looking. I'm sure, you know, magic of Hollywood. I'm sure they, you know, it's all special effects, but it's really brutal looking. And he has no clothes on, so there's no place to hide it. I think it was a like a collapsing sword, and they had the other side sticking out of the back because when he pulled it out, he kind of rolls to kind of I think oh, allow yeah. the other piece to sort of fall. And then when he pulls it out, the the sword that he's holding, you know what, like you know, tell uh, what do they call it? like when it's something like open telescopic t- telescopes out essentially, um, like you know, like a toy lightsaber actually, how they kind of they're in the hilt and they come out, you know. True. Yeah. That's how I figured it was done. E- either way. I was like, 1981? It's, cool it's fucking amazing. Right? I agree. So was his taint. Two days later, at the appointed time, everyone is gathered at the outskirts of the castle to watch the two champions fight. The Lancelot is a no-show. Gawain is ready to gwing. Gwing. He's ready to fight. While the queen has no champion. Arthur and by looks, the way, he has a fucking Cubert shield too in the scene. The shield is the Cubert cubes on the blocks. On oh. the, uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, Cubert. I thought you said Cubric or something at first, but no, Cubert. Yeah. No, there's like the Cubert like yeah. squares. I'm going. Where's I was expecting to see boing boing. I love that game as a kid. I like that more than uh, Crystal Castle. Oh yeah, me too. Both being, like, isometric kind of, you know, things, yeah. Similar, very similar. Although I liked Crystal Castle on my Atari 2600. I didn't feel any desire to play it in the arcade. Mm. You're like, hmm, ponderous. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm trying to think if I drew that arcade game in Bodhi's notes. Probably not. I don't think you have. I probably would have, like, noticed that, you know what I mean? Because not too many people know Crystal Castle. No, but I was pulling some deep cuts back in the day, so. You did a Cubert one, if I recall. I did a Cubert one, yeah. Yeah. Do another one. Cubert's awesome, I, I man. Will. They're coming back. Don't worry. Good. The tilt is coming back. I love it. I love it. The queen has no champion. Arthur looks to his men for a champion, but no one steps forward except Percival. Arthur tells him to kneel so he can knight the young boy. The other members of the round table look shocked. Well, you should have stepped up, motherfucker. Percival's... I love Percival. I do too, dude. I think he's fucking awesome. Percival wastes no time and leaps onto a horse, armorless, ready to fight the fully armored and trained Gawain. Trained Gawain. Trained Gawain. (laughs) Swing, swing. But before that can happen, Lancelot comes riding out of the woods. I'm here. (laughs) Guys, guys. We can see blood dripping down the side of his armor. Something only Percival notices when Lancelot relieves him of his duty. Gawain and Lancelot joust, then fight bitterly on the ground until ultimately Gawain is beaten. Lying on his back, bloody and bruised, Gawain Neeson yells that the queen is innocent. Everyone cheers as Lancelot falls over half dead. It must be so nice when, uh, you know, you accuse somebody of something and they're like, okay, well, we're going to fight and whoever wins, that's the final verdict. And I find it interesting that the movie also puts forth this, you know, this idea that this is how they resolve something, but also that the resolution is wrong. 
like Guinevere and Lancelot do have a thing, even though That's nothing's ever saying. been. Yeah, but it's interesting. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that they have these laws, and then we see how they kind of don't work. Yeah, Gwang is not in the wrong. Gwang knows it. And were they supposed to fight to the death, or was it just until one man yields? I think when one man yields. Okay. Okay. You call me a bitch. I yield to your bitchness. Okay. Okay, Danny Trejo. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excalibur! Excalibur! Yeah, she. What about me? No, 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 no. Oh, I'll defend the queen's honesty. No quick kick, no. You you have no shirt on. You have no, no shoes on. No shirt. And then I think uh, quick kick gets his leg broken by, by Storm Shadow. And I think Spirit fixes his leg. Yeah, because Spirit's in it too. Well, of course. And I'm, I'm like, why is Spirit not fighting... Storm Shadow. They had an epic battle in the in the the miniseries for the Mass Device. Yeah, yeah. They had an epic battle in that one, or the not the Mass Device, but you know, like the satellite or whatever. Yeah, the the, the weather weather dominator. Weather right? dominator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Weather yeah. dominator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut to Merlin and Guinevere looking looking over Lancelot in bed. Arthur runs into the room and tells the wizard to save his best friend. Whatever the cost. Merlin says, So be it. Then he places Guinevere's hand on Lancelot's wound and whispers a magic spell. Mecha like a high, mecha hiney ho. <laughs> fucking perfect. That was fucking perfect. Uh, good one. Good one, buddy. Good one. <laughs> that made me stop. <laughs> like, in my tracks. Sorry. And I was like, how did we not get to that before? Like, how did it take <laughs> us two hours to get to that? Clata bratu nictu. Nictu. I said your damn words. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin leaves the room and chases, and Arthur chases after him, leaving his queen with Lancelot. The king asks if his knight will live, and Merlin says, Oh, yes. The king asks, Will Guinevere... Yes. Arthur looks distraught, then asks if he will ever have a son. Merlin says yes to that as well. The king says, no riddles? Nothing but a simple yes? That frightens me. But a king should be afraid, Arthur. Always. Of the enemy waiting everywhere. In the corridors of his castle? On the deer paths of his forest? Or in a more tangled forest in here? And he points to his own head. Arthur laughs and they walk away. Don't forget the trails of your taint. (laughs) Or Lancelot's taint. Yes. Back in the room with Guinevere and Lancelot, the knight wakes up with a gasp and looks right into his queen's eyes. At another banquet at the round table, this time Lancelot is in attendance. He sits at the seat next to Arthur and Guinevere and surveys the festivities in disgust. We have lost our way, Arthur. The king pounds the table and stands up to ask the room, which is the greatest quality of knighthood? Courage, compassion, loyalty. No one responds, so he asks Merlin to step forth and answer. Merlin says, Truth. It must be truth above all. When a man lies, he murders part of the world. You should know that. And he scowls at Arthur. Lancelot gets back up from the table and says he has to go heal in the woods. Arthur tells him to come back to them when he is well. 
cut to Guinevere riding her horse through the woods to where Lancelot is laying. He stands up and tries to keep her at bay with his sword, but she moves it aside and they kiss. Cut to Arthur and Merlin on top of the castle, looking out over the forest. The king asks if Merlin still has the sight. Are they together? The wizard says, Yes. You warned me of this all those years ago. What must I do now? Kill them? Merlin says he cannot help him with this. His days are ended. The gods of once are gone forever. It's a time for men. It's your time, Arthur. Merlin says this is the moment Arthur must face at last. To be king alone. Arthur asks if he will see Merlin again. No, there are other worlds. This one is done with me. Arthur hugs his mentor, then walks off to meet his destiny. Deeper in the castle, Merlin goes to talk to Morgana, who's killing animals to make a spell. He is disappointed in her. Is this all you've learned? To deal in potions and petty evil? She shoots back at him. And where have your meddling arts brought the world? To the edge of ruin. He says he's meddled in the affairs of men for too long. The time has come for him to go. He leaves the room and Morgana chases after him, begging for Merlin to take her with him. She says he promised to teach her the charm of making. He turns around and asks if she's worthy. Morgana says she is. Then follow me to my pleasure pad, where we will shag and shag some more. I would have also accepted taint, dragon, <laughs> dragon's lair. Would you like to see my dragon's taint? Mm, mm, mm. What if Merlin's taint is scales? Like, <laughs> scaly. <laughs> Oof. Cut to Lancelot and Guinevere making love in the woods. At the same time, we see Merlin leading Morgana down below the castle and into the caverns from whence he came. It is an enormous and beautiful set. Yeah, it's very cool. The set set pieces are amazing. Even like the gold walls are so cool looking. Yeah, like I feel like they did a great job with that too. Like I know that they just built like little parts and just filmed it, but like... Man, when they run into the castle and, like, the camera's so far back and that's all, like, gold and silver, it's impressive. It feels very vast and epic. Yeah, I mean, this movie is... Epic is is the best word to describe it. Also, apparently, the scene where um, Lancelot and Guinevere were making love in the woods, uh, heavily infested with the mosquitoes, it very much sucked for those two. The actors. Lancelot guy's like, you're making me do this twice? <laughs> my taint can't take it. I've got, I've got, I've got polyps in my taint now. <laughs> he turns into Woody Allen. Excuse me, but, but, could, 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 could I have some salve for my taint? <laughs> for me, for my taint? <laughs> <laughs> Excalibur! Excalibur! Check out this guy's taint over here. Yeah, Shane, go ahead and cut his head off. (laughs) Morgana asks where they are, and Merlin says the source of his power, the coils of the dragon. She wants to see the future and gets glimpses of Guinevere and Lancelot naked in the woods, with Arthur advancing on them with his sword. The scene that she's watching is built into the cave, the cave set, 
So, like, the actors, it's not like she's looking through, like, a, a mirror or something. It's like the actors are actually there. It, it cr- I've never seen something done like that before, and I loved it. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool effect. Morgana wants more. She wants Morgana the- wants more. <laughs> yeah, she wants more of the dragon, baby. She demands Merlin tell her the sacred charm of making. Even though such knowledge would burn and blind you? Then burn me, Morgana says. Cut to Arthur walking up to Lancelot and Guinevere laying naked and asleep in each other's arms in the forest. He raises Excalibur above his head with madness in his eyes. Back in the caves, Merlin looks at Morgana and his eyes are red. He says, Look into the eyes of the dragon and despair. I destroy you. I consign you to oblivion. Morgana screams. This is so fucking cool, man. Back in the forest, Arthur plunges Excalibur down and the whole world trembles. Back in the caves, Excalibur appears in Merlin, impaling him from behind. He stumbles, calling for Arthur. Morgana goes to him and tells him to set the world right. Call the dragon. Mend the sword. Speak the charm of making. Merlin, looking disoriented, starts speaking the charm of making. As he does, Morgana says the words too, memorizing them. Merlin stops speaking, but Morgana continues until the old wizard is encased in crystals. You fool! You thought you would trap me? You are trapped yourself by the same sorcery used to deceive my mother. You're nothing. You're not a god. You're not a man. I shall find a man and give birth to a god. Morgana leaves the caverns alone. I like that line, I shall find a man and give birth to a god. He man, 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 man. And the masters of the universe! Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft this magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull, I oh, have the power! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. <laughs> Joe is there! Excalibur! <laughs> We've devolved into <laughs> madness. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft this magic sword and said, Excalibur! (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Fucking perfect. It's almost as if we've been doing this for four plus years. I guess so, yeah. The next morning, we see Lancelot and Guinevere waking up. Excalibur is in the ground between them. The queen gasps at the sight, and when Lancelot tries to touch the blade, it cuts him. He says in agony, Cut me! I don't know why he grabbed it from the blade end like that, but okay. It's kind of a bonehead move. Because he's a fool, fool for love. (laughs) The king is without a sword! The land without a king! He goes running off naked. Not a good look. (laughs) Look at that taint and balls just everywhere. Lancelot just lost it right there. He's like, done. He did. Off to Cuckooville. Yeah, yeah, actually, yes. He does go off to Cuckooville at this point. <laughs> Guinevere curls up naked and crying around Excalibur. Cue, I will remember you. Cue a Sarah McLaughlin song. <laughs> will you remember <laughs> me? <laughs> I mean, I know that song. And she's in a dentist's office. Uh, is is that in the video? Is she? No, no. Oh, okay. I just feel like that's where I always hear that song. Is at a dentist's mm-hmm. office. As you're as you're about to fade away under the uh, anesthesia. <laughs> yeah. 
god. See what you did to us, Robert? Yeah. Yes, you did this. You did this to us. You did this. And you can do this, too, if you sign up for the highest tier on Patreon. You, too, can break our minds. Cut to a little incest scene. You know, this movie has everything. A little bit. A little bit. Game of Thrones, once again. Game of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Excalibur. Excalibur. Cut to Morgana walking up to her sleeping brother, the king, while whispering a spell over him. She says, love me. With his eyes closed, Arthur says, Guinevere. While Morgana says, forget and love. There's a fade sort of representing a time lapse, and we see Arthur holding Guinevere. She smiles and says, I have conceived a son, my king, my brother. Arthur throws Guinevere off of him and sees that it's Morgana. She says, I could kill you now, brother, but I want you to live to see our son be king. Then Arthur passes out, and she's sort of strangling him, but I, it's weird. I don't know why he doesn't just overpower overpower her. Because she, she has him under a spell. Yeah, yeah. Cue, cut to that Enigma song. Dom, dom-wa. Do-do-do-do. Remember that song by Enigma back in the day? I'm sure I do. It's just I'm not. came out the same time Enya came out, you know? Save the whales, save the whales, save the whales. Oh my god! Remember, Enya was strong for like what, like Enya, three months, right? Enigma, yeah, my god. Oh my god, it was like fantasy, fantasy type music, you know? Yeah, yeah, for a second, and, and remember, there was like that two months, in like nineteen ninety something, where Gregorian chants were big. Yeah, yeah, Enigma, Enigma. Oh, that was yeah. So they were they were the Gregorian chant yeah. people. Okay, got it. <laughs> Cut to Morgana's castle, which I think is the Cornwall castle from the beginning. Yes. Okay. It's her castle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because she's the daughter. Okay. Yeah. She gives birth to a baby boy during a thunderstorm. Now, it was cool because what they did was they had Helen Mirren sort of like lying under the bed with her head sticking out. And because that lady, there's they used a real pregnant person like next to her. But then that lady's sort of head was was hidden. Um, it looks great. Uh, honestly, I, I, I assumed because I, I mean, it doesn't look like a fake belly. So I assumed that Helen Mirren wasn't pregnant at the time, but as far as like an optical effect goes, looks fucking looked perfect to me. It is amazing. And, and you just reminded me of t- the beginning of the movie when, when, um, Uther, right. Is, uh, is having sex with, uh, Morgana's mom. Yeah. Apparently they shot that scene where, separately the two actors so he's like basically hammering a board with his penis yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and she like he's humping the he's humping the you know a, a piece of wood basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm just picturing this on the set like oh my god because he's so vigorous he's so aggressive about it he's like Arr! it's a very violent sex scene you know yeah. it's basically a rape scene yeah and uh and but his close-ups and everything yeah, yeah she's not Arr! actually there Arr! and he's basically having sex with the board I mean, isn't that what, like, separates, like, great actors from, like, like they can maintain being in the moment, even though, like, when you actually pull the camera back to see everybody, it's utterly ridiculous at that point? Yeah, I mean, it, like, makes sense. Yeah, acting. Acting! Actor! Actor! Excalibur! (laughs) Yeah, see, yeah, I'm a pretty good actor, too, yeah. (laughs) Too bad the SAG strike's really screwing up my career. I could have a big-time movie star. Instead, I got to join G.I. Joe. 
He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. <laughs> Joe will dare. <laughs> Back at Camelot, Arthur and his knights, all fully armored, file into the church and get down on their knee. The room is lit by the windows forming a cross. It is the best looking set in the, the movie, I think. And yeah. it's it's so underutilized. It's only in it for like a minute, like this right here. But it reminds me of like something from the keep, the way the cross is lit from behind. Yeah, it's very cool. As the priest says, God save us from Morgana and save us from her unholy child. A lightning bolt shoots through the window and strikes Arthur in the chest. He falls over. His eye, eyes are like wide open too. I, I thought he was, I personally thought he was dead at this point. Uh, yeah. His men check on him to see if he's alive and Kay says he lives. Cut to a knight riding through a village and we see the land is no longer prosperous. The villagers cry out for help, but all the knight can do is report back to the king. At the round table in Camelot, Arthur is being helped into his chair while all his men, Sans, Sans Lancelot, watch. He says they must find what is lost, the grail. Only the grail can restore leaf and flower. Search the land, the labyrinths of the forests, to the edge of within. Only the grail can redeem us. Percival asks where they should look. Portents. Signs follow. <laughs> What's the line in Fort Fairlane where he's like looking for to get some answers from something and the person dies or doesn't answer? He's like, thanks. I needed that, you know, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just picture Percival being like portents, signs follow. <laughs> that doesn't help. Where the hell's the records room? Dr. Rosen penis. What? Dr. Rosen Rosen. Who? Dr. Rosen. <laughs> What's Dr. going Rosen. on? <laughs> so, uh, nurse, I'm hyperventilating. Could you bring me a glass of hot fat and uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia? <laughs> I've never actually seen that movie, by the way. Fletch? No, the head of Alfredo Garcia. Wasn't it? Isn't that a oh, movie? It's a movie with um, Warren Oates. Oh, I think really? Sam, Sam Peckinpah directed it. Yeah. No shit. No, I think so. I think Sam Peckinpah directed it. Yeah. Okay. Warren Oates was the man. I love that guy. I, I didn't know he ever acted ever. Warren Oates? Yeah. Like Warren Oates, Oates is from is... Uh, Stripes. No, no. Stripes. <laughs> Warren Oates. Warren oh. Oates. He's the Sergeant Hulka from Stripes, not Hall and oh. Oates. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, I know Hall's one guy and Oates is the other. I just thought Oates. What is o in Hall and Oates? What is Oates's first name? Oh, it's Daryl Hall and John Oates. Okay, okay, so it's not Warren Oates, okay. <laughs> no, Warren Oates is a uh, famous, he was in the, the Wild Bunch and Tulane Blacktop and Stripes. He was Sergeant Holka in Stripes. Okay, and all our listeners are now dumber for having heard my part of this conversation. <laughs> no, I mean, they're laughing their asses off and they're driving off the road. And they're going, Portents, Portents, ah! it was soap poisoning. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> okay, all right, back to Gawain. 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 <laughs> Says that the king has spoken and that he will ride forth in the name of that quest. Urin says they will find the grail or die, and all the knights turn around and leave the round table. 
Cut to a montage of knights searching the land for the grail. We eventually f just follow Percival on the quest. He was clean shaven when he when he left, but now has a full beard. And again, this is like great use of time jumps and everything. This is turning into like a almost Italian Western or like German expressionistic film because it's very gets very artistic at this point. The, this whole dream sequence. It's like a dream sequence. Yeah. This whole, this whole sequence with Percival's journey. Because it becomes about Percival. You're like, oh, shit, this guy was kind of, you know, he was the sixth man on the on the squad. And suddenly now he's like the main guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like epic movies like this. And they don't happen a lot where you almost follow different people. But it feels natural. Like, it never feels like, okay, now we're shifting to somebody else. Like, it just feels like a natural progression of the story. Well, now we, we tell it in forest or five four or five six different movies you know right yeah yeah we we spend the entire movie on one particular character which it's, one is not better than the other it's just it's a different style of filmmaking now we don't do movies like they don't make movies like this anymore they, they certainly don't seriously they fucking don't you remember the good old days when women couldn't vote <laughs> wait what <laughs> What? Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's hard. It sometimes it's it sucks trying to be nostalgic for an era, but because nowadays it just gets spun into like this, you know, this thing. But I do. I am like nostalgic. Where we clearly we are for these movies. Yeah, yeah, eras. yeah. Of course. But nostalgic for like this kind of movie. Again, th movies like this don't fucking exist anymore. Like Lord of the Rings was was even bigger than this, but it still feels more modern. This this had just a magical quality to it. I think. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah. 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 Because then you're like, oh, that's that's Elijah Wood. Yeah. And that's fucking good. That's a Goonie. I love Lord of the Rings. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, and me I love too. Sean Astin and Elijah's Wood. Well, but and, uh, and also, too, in, in the second movie where the king, you know, where Grim and Wormtongue is kind of like having the king under his spell and everything. Yeah. That reminds me of Arthur in this. Totally. Like right, like right now in this part of the story. Yeah. And you're like, that's Chucky. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Brad, yeah. Brad Dourif. <laughs> Fucking yeah, I love Brad Dourif. It's Charles Lee Ray. Gwang. <laughs> Gwang. <laughs> On a snowy mountaintop, Percival spots another of his fellow knights kneeling with his hands together in a prayer at a stone shrine. He walks up to the man and asks if he's found the grail. The man doesn't reply, so the young knight walks up to him. Ah, uh, that was poor writing on my part, but oh well. Only to discover that the knight is frozen and long dead. Percival falls to his knees and says, we'll never find it. But yeah, like you, dude, I thought this was very dreamlike. Like the fact that he would die like in that pose, you know, praying yeah. like that. Right. I'm like, oh, that's like a lot of people on Mount Everest. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. That's dude. That was literally like my first thought was like just all when people die on the the mountains, like whenever they're climbing and shit like that, right. and they just get fucking frozen like that. Yeah. And in by the way, the the effect on his face, like clearly it's you know it's a mannequin or something, but yeah, it looked great. It, yeah. Now I'm like, are, these aren't the knights of the round table anymore. These are just random knights, right? No, this is one of them. I think. I thought this was Gawain because his beard kind of looked it, but oh, okay. I think someone else is later. But this guy, whoever this guy is right here, is one of those knights from the round table because those were his knights that, that quested. Got it. 
But then it's weird because like K, because all the knights die on the quest, but like K doesn't go, and yeah. K was one of the knights at the round table. It's, it's a little confusing, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wish we we had known. Like I wish Percival said this knight's name. That would have been nice. Yeah. Instead of saying Dark Man. <laughs> it's Dark Man. That's fucking Dark Man. That's Dark Man. Dark Man. Die, Dark Man, die. Oh man, I saw that movie in the fucking theater, bro. Me too, dude. I don't think I've seen it fucking since. Me too, dude. They have to cover Darkman when he's dead. I remember liking it. Me too, dude. <laughs> All right, third time's a charm. Add Darkman to the list. Okay. <laughs> Cut to Percival riding his th- horse through a forest. He looks tired and his lips are dry. Suddenly see he sees another knight on a horse riding by him, but something is wrong. The knight is naked and tied to the animal, and his throat is slit. Percival says Gawain, but to me, it doesn't really look like Liam Neeson. When I saw this the first time and I watched it without the subtitles the first time, I thought Gawain was the frozen one. And then to me, this looked like urines, but apparently this is Gawain right here. That's Gawain. Okay. Okay, sure. Big rips to Gawain. Big rips to Gawain. (laughs) A boy's laughter breaks Percival's shock and he races after the sound of the noise. We see someone else in the woods riding a horse. They are clad in gold armor. The helmet is molded to look more like a proper face than we've seen before. Percival finally catches up to this mysterious stalker, and the boy in gold says, You seek what Arthur wants. I don't know why I said it like that. He doesn't sound like something from legend or whatever. Um, the The thing they call the grail. Percival says that he does. The boy tells the knight to follow him. The boy leads Percival to a tree where a dozen dead knights are hanging. Crows peck at their faces and eyes. That was an awesome effect, by the way. Yeah, it was. They were looking for it too, but they weren't good enough. The boy keeps riding with Percival in pursuit. They enter a cave with a strange green glow. The boy takes off his helmet and goes up to his mother, Morgana. He kneels before her. The sorceress has turned the cave into her home, complete with a throne. Mordred, my lovely, clever boy. He gets up and sits on the throne with a big shit-eating grin on his face. So this is the younger uh, Mordred, the one played by Borman's son. Yeah. Morgana looks at Percival and says, You have crossed the Great Wasteland. You are burning with thirst. Drink. There is a chalice on a stone table in front of the knight. Morgana goes on, For ten years and a day you have searched. And tell me, have you found what you seek? Percival says that he has found nothing but sorrow and death. He says the boy promised him the grail. Is it here? Morgana says, you have searched too hard. Take your ease. Percival starts to weep. Shrink and join me, she says. Percival reaches for the chalice but falls over. He wakes up. By the way, this chalice looks really cool the way it's molded with different colors. Yeah, it doesn't look like a cheesy dollar store chalice. Or a wooden one like in Last Crusade. Overrated movie. <laughs> it's really not that great. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, really, I, you know, like yeah. Diallo is rolling around right now. Go what? But it's really not. It's an hour too long. It's, it's so stupid with Sean Connery calling him Junior through the whole thing and like Junior. Sean Connery named the dog Indiana. Oh yes, and then they they have the same relationship with the with the woman. 
Yeah, it's weird. So his Indy's penis was in. So he's he's an ex Eskimo brother with his father. <laughs> Is that what that means? Yeah, an Eskimo brother. When you're when That's you've had racist. sex with the same person. Oh really? Yeah. That's racist, probably right. <laughs> probably. It's not that good, man. Like it's so boring. It's really boring. Having sex? No, no, no. Last Crusade. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> where, where are we going with this? I really like the new Indiana Jones, by the way. I thought it was really well done. Oh, the Dial of Destiny. I'm, I'm. Is it on Disney Plus yet? I haven't. I don't seen know. It. I liked it. I saw it in the theater, though. I thought it was great. Okay. I actually I, thought the la- I thought this, the the Alien one was not that bad either. I I saw it once in the theater. I, I don't remember it like hating it because it focused more on the action in that than some stupid like backstory of you know. It, it kind of hits. Yeah. Can I be honest? Like I didn't watch Raiders and, and any of the Indiana Jones that much as a kid. I, I was always into stuff more sci-fi and of all of them, I, I watched Raiders the most, but I still didn't watch it as much as some fucking people did. Me neither, but I had the toys. I never did. Never did have those toys. So he reaches for the chalice, but falls over. He wakes up in Morgana's lap and looks around to see his fellow knights all offering him a drink from a different cup. Morgana says, There are many pleasures in in the world, many cups to drink from, and they shall all be yours. Drink! Percival screams, No! and pushes the knights away. The camera cuts to Mordred and he says, He's no good, mother. Then we see Percival is actually still standing by the chalice in the same place he was before he fainted, so he never actually fainted. Yeah. Mordred tells them to take him to the tree, and a bunch of armored knights comes walking out of the shadows and grab him. My question to you is, are they supposed to be empty armor? Because I could see the men's faces. I'm going to say yes, but, I mean... So you think they were like magical armor? That I probably think it's supposed to be. From the yeah okay and it's probably they were just like ah fuck it no one's gonna see the their face but yeah I did HD that man over there is playing Galaga y'all he thought we couldn't see it but we did we saw it look <laughs> that's still one of the best scenes in in fucking all of the MCU and I literally <laughs> thought about it right here I'm like you thought we couldn't see their faces but we could. <laughs> Cuts a Percival hanging by his neck on the tree of dead bodies. He is swaying back and forth as he's slowly dying, but there's still hope. His rope is slowly being cut by the boots of a body above him. All Percival has to do is hold out. As the night starts to fade away, he sees a vision of, of the Grail in Camelot. A booming voice asks, What is the secret of the Grail? Who does it serve? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. <laughs> a one, <Yeah>. a two. <laughs> Percival? <laughs> Percival tries to run, run away, but plunges into the moat around Camelot, just as his body plunges from the tree. That's a cool editing thing. Yeah. Percival gasps and says, Arthur, the secret was in my grasp. I failed you. Cut to Morgana's castle, and she is rubbing oils on Mordred's body. He asks when he will be king. When the time comes, I will send you to your father. You will take what is yours, and then you will be king. 
Morgana kisses the boy on the cheek, and when she pulls away, he is older, now a young man in the same golden armor he wore before. This time it fits better. Another great time jump. Yep. No spear, no sword, no arrow, no blade, no weapon forged by man will harm you whilst you wear this armor. Mordred asks Morgana, any message for your dear brother, my father? You are the message, boy. I don't know why she turned into a man. Boy. At Camelot, a very old Arthur is being carried on his chair by his remaining knights to the front gate that has been lowered. And this is where you get hardcore shades of, of the that king dude in the uh, 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 was it two towers, right? Yeah, the second one. Two towers. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mordred and his men are standing on the other side. The boy rides up to his father alone and says, I have come to claim what is mine, father. Arthur looks at him and says, I cannot give you the land, only my love. Mordred says, that's the only thing of yours I don't want. That's hardcore. Mordred tells his father that the quest knights have failed. They're all dead. He will come back to take Camelot by force. Then he rides back to his men. Cut to Percival drinking water from the river. His shiny armor is now brown and battered. He sees Mordred and his men riding down his fellow knight, Urins, and hides behind a tree and watches as he gets speared in the back for not renouncing the king. Once Mordred and his men are gone, Percival leaves his hiding spot and rushes to Urins. He tells the older man that he found the grail but wasn't worthy. He failed. Urins tells Percival that he is the last of them and must finish the quest. Follow the sound of the flutes. Then he dies in the young knight's arms. We see Percival walking through the countryside and following the sounds of people weeping and wailing. He comes across a funeral procession. A wild-haired holy man points out Percival and says that all they bring are famine and pestilence. Talking about knights. Percival realizes it's Lancelot and runs to him. But the fallen knight throws water in his face and all the villagers drive him back into the river. Percival tries to swim away, but his armor drags him down as he yells for Lancelot to come back to them. Arthur needs him. Percival must shed his armor in the water to survive and emerges naked, except for like some pants on. This is very symbolic. Like he falls in at night and he has to come out. You know what I mean? Like he's reborn. Oh, yeah, totally. And the shedding of the armor kind of. Yes, it's practical because it's, it's bringing him down, but it's also a part of that. You know, shedding what's holding him back so he can, it's, I mean, it's like fucking symbolism 101. Right, and Percival now has become like the main character in the story. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, excuse me, princess. <laughs> That's from Legend of Zelda. <laughs> I shed my skin too for Excalibur! I was going to say, and Percival emerges out of the water as Storm Shadow! Storm Shadow! <laughs> <laughs> we got there, buddy. We got there. Robert's like, damn it. Damn it. God damn it. <laughs> as you did this to us, Robert. <laughs> and we love it. And you love it. You know you love it, Robert. You look her in the eye. As Percival climbs out of the water, and this is cool too. So as he sort of climbs out of the water, he also climbs into his vision of Camelot and the Grail, like we yeah. saw before when he was dying on the tree. 
great editing in this movie. Yeah. The Vision asks him again, what is the secret of the Grail? Who does it serve? Percival says, you, my lord. Then the voice asks, who am I? You are my lord and king. You're Arthur. The Grail fades into Arthur, and the voice asks, have you found the secret that I have lost? Yes, Percival says. You and the land are one. Percival reaches up to grab the grail in the vision. Then we see he is holding it in real life and standing naked in Arthur's room. Again, he's got like pants on, but no armor or anything. Yeah. And he's dripping wet. So like it's it's very dreamlike how he got from point A to point B. Right. The young knight brings the grail to his king and tells him to drink and he will be reborn and the land with him. Arthur drinks and is rejuvenated. Arthur drinks and is rejuvenated. No, rejuvenate. Wait, rejuvenated. How rejuvenated. <sighs> Buddy, would have thought I would have got fucked up on that word. Arthur drinks and is re. Arthur drinks and is rejuvenated. He stands up and tells Kay to ready his knights for battle. They will ride with the king once more. I have lived through others far too long. Lancelot carried my honor, Guinevere my guilt. Mordred bore my sins. My knights have fought my causes. Now, my brother, I shall be king. And I will say that as this scene kind of holds, Percival is like, do you notice he's like still sitting by the chair that, and like in the same pose, almost as if the director never told him like what to do. So he's like, I guess I'll just stay in the same spot with my head hanging. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it was weird. Just yell cut. <laughs> my legs are kind of cramping here. Borman getting tired. <laughs> he doesn't even, the lights start turning off and the guy playing Percival is still just sitting there. <clears throat> yeah. Help. Help. Papa. Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> We see Arthur and his knights ride out of Camelot and across the land. As they do, the flowers bloom and life is restored. There's a particularly beautiful shot of them riding through a row of cherry blossoms as the petals are falling. Yeah, it's pretty. They rode a blazing saddle. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Morons. <laughs> <laughs> They come a whooping and a hollering. <laughs> Man, it's been a while since I watched that movie. I need to watch it again. I, Young Frankenstein will always be my favorite, even above Spaceballs, which I love. But Blazing Saddles definitely in, in that three. It's, it's Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. So uh, funny, man. Spaceballs and Histories of the World Part 1. Mel Brooks is great. I watched Histories of the World Part 1 so much as a kid, dude. So I watched that and Ice Pirates a lot. Yeah, all these movies you would never show a kid nowadays. No, but I was like 10 years old, happily written them. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur and his... We have like two pages left. Arthur and his men arrive at a convent of nuns <laughs> to find Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> hey, Robert! Hey! <laughs> get it? Get it? Go back Go back in our catalog. For those of you who don't know, if you're listening to us for the first time, uh, Robert's other movie pick was uh, The Convent. And Suburbia. And sub yeah, Suburbia, I think, was first. Then The Convent. Now this. And then, uh, well, Zach's sort of already announced it. But uh, now next will be The Giver 2. Dark Hero. Colon, Dark Hero. 
<laughs> Underscore. <laughs> Hashtag. So they arrive at the convent of nuns to find Guinevere is among them. He asks for her forgiveness. They have suffered far too long. I've always loved you and I still love you. She says, I loved you as a king, sometimes as a husband. Sometimes. Burn! I was like, that wasn't, that wasn't necessary. Cold-blooded. <laughs> she was cold as ice. <sighs> She's cold as ice. <laughs> but I do like how she says, one cannot gaze too long at the sun. I think she's talking about Lancelot, by the way, when she said that. And I love this. Arthur says, I was not born to live a man's life, but to be the stuff of future memory. The fellowship was a brief beginning, a fair time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten, that fair time may come again. Spoiler alert, it won't. Humanity will just get worse. Yeah. And then you'll have Chevy Chase singing, I was born to love you. I was born to kiss your face. But you were born to love me first. And then he does a line of coke. Cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. Of Lacey Underall in Caddyshack. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I love me some Caddyshack. Don't you Lacey worry, Underall. <laughs> he says once more he must ride with the knights to defend what once was. And the dream of what could be. Guinevere goes to her bed and pulls out something wrapped in a blanket from underneath. It's Excalibur! <laughs> Arthur says, I never dared to hope all these years that it was you. I, this dialogue is wild. Arthur says, I never dared to hope all these years that it was in your keeping. He goes on. I, th I think all of this is beautiful, but it's, it's, I mean, props to him for memorizing all these lines too, by the way. Right. I've often thought that in the hereafter of our lives, when I owe no more to the future, can be just a man that we may meet and you'll come to me and claim me yours know that I'm your husband. It is a dream I have. I like that they don't like embrace like it doesn't not everything's like all happy and everything like he says his piece. It's not really like requited. But it doesn't have to be because I think in his heart he knows that he's going off to his last battle anyways, and he just needed to tell her this. Be funny if he turned as he's walking out. He's like, "Are you sure you don't want to break up with me?" <laughs> Your chance. <laughs> just I know I put it out there. I know I know I closed the door. I closed the door. But do you want to open the door? <laughs> just asking because I, I could stay. Oh man, it's. Nothing, man. There's there's few feelings in this world that compare horribly to, to getting dumped by somebody who you like and didn't, you know, still wanted to be with. You know and what then, I mean? And then having the upper hand to, like, give them your final piece and walk away, but then stop and go, ah, but I could take it all back. I, I could take <laughs> I'm just saying. I, all right. What do you think? What do you think? Is there a chance? 
And then Man. you look like a tool bag yep. because you backtracked. Yep. And and any amount of, of, <laughs> of arousal that she had for you is now gone forever. <laughs> yep. Oh man, I'm just glad we're fucking not in our you know twenties and shit. Oh, uh, the you know? the good old days, as Arnold Schwarzenegger would say. <laughs> good old days. Uh. All right. Oh, we're in the home stretch, guys. We're in the home stretch. Cut to Arthur and his knights riding through a lush countryside. They meet up with another knight who tells him they are all that's left. All other knights have rallied to Mordred. Arthur says they will camp there tonight and attack Mordred and, the, and his men in the morning. There's a Stonehenge-like monument near the encampment there. Uh, by the way, that's a set that they built, and apparently there were some American tourists there that came across it and then hiked all the way up the mountain to, to see it, and I think John Borman and crew were like, uh, that's not real, guys. That's a set. You've wasted. You've wasted your time. That's not Stonehenge, idiots, <laughs> you morons. But they're like, but we won the pig and the poke. I have seen uh, European Vacation uh, a lot. A I lot love more. that movie. I did too. It had a lot of boobs in it too. So when, when they're rustling the newspapers on the train, yeah. <laughs> they're like, to, <laughs> start smacking each other. He's porking her. That's the best. That's my favorite. Uh, Rusty, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, what he was also in Night of the Creeps. Yes, that's right. Yes, yep, yep, yep. My favorite Audrey was the first one. Me too. Vacation. Yeah. No, but she was on Nine Hundred Two and Zero. Oh, was she? Yep. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I never knew what her career was. Sort of after that. Dana Barron. Okay. Okay. Very yeah. cool. And Jason Lively is the uh, is the 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 kid we're talking. Rusty. The second, the the second European one. vacation, yeah, yep. okay. Get from Night of the Creeps, yeah. Yep. Later, we see Arthur at the monument alone, calling out to Merlin. He wishes the old wizard was at his side to give him counsel and courage. If only you could see me wield Excalibur one more time. And the king sits by one of the large stones and closes his eyes. Merlin appears before him. He says Arthur's love brought him back. The king asks if this is a dream, and Merlin says, A dream to some. Then throws open his arms and says, A nightmare to others. And the vision disappears. Poof. Arthur stands up and calls out, but Merlin is gone. He says, Excalibur! (laughs) Excalibur! (laughs) Arthur wakes up his brother Kay. The older man says he was dreaming about Merlin. He said Kay would fight bravely tomorrow. Arthur says Merlin lives only in their dreams now. Silent lucidity. Great song. Great song. Queen's right rules. Cut to Merlin walking through Mordred and Morgana's camp, but no one can see him. He walks up to a sleeping Morgana and whispers that he has returned. Have you used up all the magic you've stolen from me? To keep yourself so young? Have you any magic left to do battle with Merlin? Morgana sits up with a gasp and sees Merlin next to her bed. He says there's nothing to fear from a man she vanquished long ago who only wants to see how powerful she's become. Morgana claws at his face, but her hand goes through his head. Merlin is only a vision. You see, Morgana, you've made me into a dream. A shadow. 
Then he disappears, and she laughs, but it's interrupted by Merlin saying, You must be greater than I ever was. I once released the dragon's breath so Uther could lie with your mother and become the dragon king. (laughs) It almost destroyed me. But I suspect you could do it quite easily, couldn't you? I see no mist. Have your powers faded too? Here's a charm. (laughs) Morgan tries to find the words and Merlin mocks her. Have you forgotten the charm of making? Use it. Morgana starts speaking the charm of making. We see her saying the words while she is asleep and smoke is coming out of her mouth. Merlin gets excited and says that she's better at it than he ever was. He gives her one last parting words and leaves her tent. Careful. It can damage your beauty. Alas. As Merlin leaves Morgana's tent, we see fog and smoke rolling out of it, much to the shock of her armored guards and everyone in the camp. Mordred rushes to check on Morgana in the fog and is startled by the old woman standing in front of him. He hits her, knocking her down, then strangles her to death. So yeah, so kind of like using that power took away her ability to stay young. They picked a pretty nasty looking old lady. They sure did. They sure did. She's almost as bad as the one in The Shining, that uh, oh, the yeah. naked one. In room Oofa. 237 or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. Not into the gilf thing, my man. No. <laughs> the next morning, Mordred and his men stand guard in the dense fog. We also see Arthur and his men riding through it. I think this is when the music kicks in that we, you know that we've been doing the whole time. The king says they won't know how few there are in the fog. They'll use the old ways, speed of horse. Arthur and his brave knights attack Mordred and his followers. An epic bloody battle ensues. Just when it seems all hope is lost for the side of Arthur and his men, Lancelot comes riding into the chaos and fucking shit up for Mordred's men. The sight of their lost hero makes Arthur and his men fight harder. After the battle is over, Lancelot calls out for Arthur. The king finds his BFF lying on top of a large pile of defeated foes and goes to him. Lancelot asks for forgiveness from his friend and says, My salvation is to die a knight of the round table. Arthur says, You are that and much more. You are the greatest knight. You are what is best in men. Lancelot asks if Guinevere is queen again. Arthur says, She is Lancelot. And with that, Lancelot of the Lake dies oh behind him percival says that the fog is lifting they are the only two men left alive when arthur stands up and turns around he sees mordred standing there waiting for him he's holding a spear and says come father let us embrace at last arthur stands there as mordred plunges the spear through his chest percival's just watching the king then grabs the spear and pulls himself closer to his son and then plunges Excalibur through his heart, Mordred's heart. And then we have Infanticide. Both men fall over, but Percival catches Arthur. The king tells him to take Excalibur to a pool of calm water and throw it in. We see Percival ride to a calm lake and is about to throw it in, but doesn't. 
He holds on to it and rides back to find Arthur lying against a rock and looking out over the sea. He is barely alive when he asks what Percival saw when he threw the, the sword in the lake. The young knight says he couldn't do it. Arthur tells him to do as he commands. One day a king will come and the sword will rise again. Percival rides back to the lake and tosses Excalibur in. And a woman's hand catches the sword and brings it underwater as the triumphant music swells. Percival rides back to where Arthur was but can't find his body. Then he sees the boat then he sees a boat in the distance. The king is laying on it dead, and three women in white are standing over him. The boat sails into the horizon, and the credits roll. <laughs> Fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. <laughs> so I got to say, I, I fucking love this movie. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. Literally, you could cut three minutes. I hated Percival going to the water. Going there and coming and back. And then coming back. It's, and then just I to know. be told to go back again. So bugs me so much, too. That scene, I'm like, no, 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 no. And, and maybe that's like accurate to the story type i'm sure of thing. it was but why do you gotta all that information could have been told to him in the first time and then he just go and in what you were saying earlier about like you know movies like this don't exist anymore because we make movies differently now yeah i 100 percent guarantee that scene would have been con- condensed into one thing because I, I was so thrown off by that i was like this is bloated right here yeah he goes back he comes for like yeah when he comes back that's when the body's gone and he looks and sees him on the boat and that's it and then Q, turn around, look at what you see. Like, my king. Yeah. No, I, look, I love this movie. I thought it, I, I yeah, final was thoughts, reminded man. of how I was, re, I was reminded of how good it uh, is. And I'm so glad Robert brought it to the table. Thank you again, Robert, for doing that. I know you have a, uh, a rich history with this film, which you'll share about on our wrap up episode. Uh, If you're not a subscriber and you want to hear about that, subscribe to our Patreon.com page, patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark for more information and details. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, this movie could have benefited from 20 minutes of footage getting cut. It, It would have been a lot cleaner if it was two hours, but it is what it is. It's still super enjoyable. Uh, It's still rich with history. You feel like you're watching you know, a, a segment of time that no longer exists. And I'm not talking about medieval times. I'm talking about early 80s time, filmmaking, early 80s filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it and masterfully broken down by yourself, even though uh storm shadow kept showing up throughout <laughs> to talk about Excalibur. <laughs> okay. You're, we're done. We're done with the movie. Oh, you are. Yeah. Go home. Go hang out with Snake Eyes. Okay. I was literally telling Myra, I was like, I don't know, like, how we're going to make this, like, inter- like funny. You know what I mean? Like, cause it, you know, that's what we did. do. We have fun with it. And uh, I never thought in a million years that Storm Shadow would be making an appearance <laughs> in this episode. But, uh, dude, I feel the exact same way you do, man. Um, this movie, it's, it's epic. It's beautiful. Cinematography is amazing. 
but also it's a glimpse into a time forgotten. And again, I'm echoing you. I'm not talking about, you know, four or 500 years ago. I'm talking about just filmmaking from the early 80s. Like, yeah. you do not, like, like I said at the beginning of this, for better or worse, we do not see movies like this anymore. And I say for worse because of that, of the Percival scene at the end. I think we as, you know, as a society has gotten better at the craftsmanship in some regards. Um, but not in other. Like, I, I think I think this is does some amazing fucking things. And it's stunning looking. And it's it's awesome. And it moves fast. For a movie that's two and a half hours long, I mean, it does move fast because there's no, like, fat on the bones. Every piece of, of information, every scene is pivotal to the overall story. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I'm Like I said, there are scenes that probably would need to be cut out but it would be hard to figure out what those scenes are so yeah without like making this two or three movies like no without making this a trilogy or something yeah Yeah. so again thank you robert for for supporting us um thank you for bringing excalibur to to the table when i posted um you know on instagram today that we were recording this it got a lot of feedback i I think this was a big movie for a lot of people as kids i agree i agree so thank you even five-year-old zach yeah, right. And I mean, and it is a cult movie. Like at this point, I would consider yes. this a cult movie. So well, Robert's next pick is definitely a cult movie as well. Sure is. It sure is. And then we will be uh, tackling Cam, your Cam Sully's picks. Um, and I think we're probably going to wind up doing the same thing. I think maybe in January or something. And uh, it, as long as he, you know, Cam, you stay at the same level. Yada yada yada. But um, yeah, we'll be. Uh, we love it. We love doing it because it's also fun because. You know, so much of our show is predicated on our personal nostalgia. This gives us a chance to kind of see, check out movies and stuff that we maybe we didn't as much as kids and everything and revisit right. them. So, Zach, what um, what you got going on in the month of November over on $2 Late Fee? November is an interesting month because we are covering one of our favorite uh, films of all the times that we broke down on Podcasting After Dark, Tough Turf. One and of the first ones you brought to the table. Right. And then we uh, we have an interview with Olivia Barish, who stars in Tough Turf, and she's also from Repo Man as well. And uh, and then we round out the month with Territory Marks, two matches that Paul and I are thankful for. A lot of stuff's brewing. Uh, and, and at the very end, I'll just reveal this right now, the very end of November, beginning of December, Corey is flying down to L.A. <laughs> for... L.A. Comic-Con. So if you are in Los Angeles the first weekend of December, December 2nd and 3rd to be exact, uh, Corey and I will be doing a fun um, panel with Dustin from $2 Late Fee, Paul from Territory Marks, Diallo from TV Obscura, and Battle uh, Battlestar Galacta. What is it? Galactic Gal- Actually. <laughs> from Galactic Actually. Um, and we're going to have a fun, like eighties nostalgic panel. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of other great stuff going on at LA comic-con. So if you're in the area, get your tickets now. Uh, if you're planning on coming, visiting some friends in Los Angeles, get your tickets now. Um, yeah, it's going to be good times. So I hope you can join us LA comic-con 
December first weekend in December 2023. Yeah. I think it's like first, second, and third, or second, third, and fourth, something like that. Yep. Um. Yeah. Deb. Well, Zach said everything. There you go, guys and gals. Come check us out at LA Comic Con. And uh, like Zach said, uh, you know, the ne- Robert's next movie. Uh, we've already sort of announced it in here. It's gonna be Guyver too. But this whole month is the month of Robzilla. And uh, we'll have him on wrap up and everything, and and then right after that, pretty much be flying out to LA. So very excited. It's also going to be a very. I think we're going to have to record like our our first Christmas movie by the end of November as well. So it's going to be a very next two months are going to be very packed with stuff. But it's all good. Love it. Absolutely love it. Love you. I love you too, buddy. And as always. We'll catch you on the dark side, Excalibur! Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.